Hi, and welcome to the Truth Perspective on the South Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn, and my co-hosts this week are Neil Bradley. Hi, everyone. Harrison Keeley. Hello. And Jason Martin. Hello. So this week, we are talking about a hot topic, a topic that's been hot for quite a while. Um, it's something that probably most people listen to this show, probably most people in Western nations and maybe even around the world have been have not been uh, unaware of, let's say, at least to some extent. It's the apparent upsurge, if you listen to the media, uh, apparent upsurge or pandemic proportions of racism, sexism, homophobia, and lots of other isms uh, that are sweeping, particularly Western nations. But I think really it's it's kind of like a meme that has kind of taken over the whole world and you'd be excused for thinking that uh, that it really is a big problem um, and you might be wondering where exactly it came from all of a sudden because as far as I'm concerned anyway five or ten years ago this wasn't really an issue but suddenly uh, it's a big issue that somebody or everybody somebody has to do something about um, all of these things particularly racism let's say sexism uh, homophobia has been around for quite a long time, I think, but again, it has really taken center stage as well. What other isms are out there that we all have to deal with? Uh, transphobism. I think transphobism. Tra- okay. Transphobia. Transphobia. Uh, Islamophobia. Islamophobia. Xenophobia. Xenophobia in general. Yeah. Gynophobia. But, well, xenophobia comes from. Uh, xenophobia is like the hatred of immigrants or whatever. Right. That's, that's, that's anti anti immigration. The anti immigration right. thing. So. Um, yeah, so there's a bunch of them there, and they are all basically, I suppose, they're all focused on, they're all other-focused uh, or minority or, generally speaking, oppressed. Of course, minorities are oppressed because they're a minority, right? I mean, they, um, the fact that you're a small group, distinct group, among, in, in a bigger group, by, defin, by definition, apparently, means that you are in some way oppressed, or certainly have the right to claim that you're oppressed if you're a small group within a larger group. Um, that's that's the common, I suppose, the common theme amongst all these things, Ex- with the exception of se- sexism, obviously, um, because last I checked, there's probably just about as many women as there are men on there's the planet. More right? women. Well, there's more women, right? So that's a slightly different thing, but it's still in the same vein of you know, poor people, poor, unfortunate, oppressed, victimized in some way or other people being victimized by someone else, and of course, most people will probably be aware that uh, there's the someone else that generally is blamed for victimizing all of these different small or large groups, our men, and particularly white men, uh, which is the patriarchy. So the patriarchy made up of white men is responsible for racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, Islamophobia, xenophobia, uh, xenophobia, all of these phobias. It all comes back to basically white men. White men are really the only ones, apparently. apparently, I'm just just quoting the the dominant narrative here. Uh, Apparently, they are the ones who are responsible for all (coughs) We got rid of all the white men then everything you would have, I suppose you'd have utopia, like peace yeah, on earth peace yeah. and earth, and goodwill yeah. to everybody, you know. That, that's the narrative, and that's why I suppose it's, uh, it's, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, people who I suppose retain a little bit of thinking ability and a bit of common sense have a problem with that concept because it's unlikely that if you get rid of white men, 
uh, if that were ever possible. But if well, it's unlikely well, no, if you get rid of them, that, no, that, offense, that, that, that. No, no offense, Joe, but you're kind of an interested party, though, aren't you? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I mean being I, a white man, of course you'd say that. All right, well, I'm going to recuse uh, myself then. From this <laughs> I mean, you, I mean you I well, we have a serious issue here because all four of us, are white men, by the right, looks of you, are four right. white males. <laughs> we should change the show to the Sots Mansplaining episode. Mansplaining, We're going to white mansplain you. We'll need to put that in the show title, actually. Mansplaining, yeah. I well, mean, we're well, all no. white. We're all straight white men, at least, you know. So, I well, mean, to, well, to be fair, I don't think we have to necessarily get, for example, a person of <laughs> color or an immigrant or a woman or a a, a, a Muslim or whatever of these minority groups on the show for us to discuss this because uh, their perspective and their opinions have been kind of right, basically right. shoved down everybody's throat over the past by the media by uh, over the past few years, you know. So. Um, I think it's fair enough that uh, they to say that they have given their side of the story, and it's fair enough then for the other side of the story to be to be uh, to be presented. Well, it's not even about two sides anyway. It's simply about you know, I'm I'm happy to to to, to entertain the idea that I I'm an oppressor of everybody. I'm not. No, I'm happy to entertain. Well, no, no, I'm, I'm happy, happy to I'm entertain happy. that I am, but like I'm I not saying I agree with it. It's a bad thing, huh? I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that I don't know. I mean, if, you, you if, if, if I said you're the king of the world, would you be like, "Ooh, yeah, maybe I should stop doing that"? It's like, uh, well, no, you, actually, well, you maybe might, it's kind of cool. Well, you might be overthrown, though. I mean, maybe there is a patriarchy, and we're all part of it. And then, the, well, where's the problem? Well, the problem is for the minorities who have come right. But here's the question, right? This is the crux of the matter. Like, how did this come onto the stage? Right? It came onto the stage with a basic assertion of a secular value that there is something intrinsically good about egalitarian fairness about everyone being the same, that that became a new value for everybody, that that right. is the most valuable thing in society. And where did that come from? Well, it came from... In recent times, let's say, because we know it's always been there at one extent or another, but <coughs> it seems to have coincided with Donald Trump. Donald Trump's to blame for all this. Yeah, in a certain Pretty sense, much when he got elected, that's when this all exploded, no? I mean, it was going on beforehand, but it really bit. went mainstream. Well, what, what basically happened is that the identity politics people that are the ones we're talking about here... They basically had the run of uh, America, of the West, for a long time, especially coming out of the 90s. And around that time, some people started to slowly but surely reject that with basically what came to be known now as the alt-right with white identitarianism. And that really kind of like made them afraid in the academic world, like seeing somebody like Richard Spencer and Jared Taylor existing, right? The mere existence of those people kind of sent them off into hysterics. And then, I mean, there was the sort of reaction to Gamergate that also helped to spur it on. And then coming on the tail of that, here's Donald Trump. And he seems to be the sum of all fears right. for the postmodernist academic. He was the last straw. So, yeah, he was the last straw. They were like, oh my God, it's really happening. Hitler's really here. This is, this is of course, how they see the world, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So from their perspective, their historical thing is that they think that genocide is like two steps away all of a sudden, Donald Trump and the alt-right are going to merge together, and they're going to put on jackboot SS uniforms, and they're going to go around, and they're going to gas all the, the transsexuals. They really kind of like, in this hysterical, emotional way, believe that to be the case. Mm. So, so that's why it's kind of exploded, but it's always been under the surface, and it stems from the postmodernist attempt to find some kind of intrinsic value that isn't linked, linked to, to God, or any kind of religious morality, the sort of constant search for a secular moral value. 
utilitarianism right. or something like that. And they came up with this idea of, okay, fairness and inclusivity and diversity in this ethnic sense is like this core value. Like it's good. It's well, like, well, that's it's like of... what righteousness used to be right. in, in, in the religious times, diversity and inclusiveness in their way of meaning it. Right. Anti-racism, anti-sexism. Uh, anti-homophobia, anti-Islamophobia, anti-xenophobia, all of these things are like being the righteous man who worships God back in the medieval so, times. So you're saying this could be the result of years of scientism, basically, and the destruction right. of God over the past, you know, two, two, three hundred years, maybe. Right. The removal of, of religion and the, the concept of, of God and its replacement by kind of secular materialism or material right. atheists, basically. And because when you listen to the atheists, that's what they talk about. They talk about the idea that morality can actually exist uh, in, in the absence of God, that there's just human morality that just emerges by right. itself and it's there. And so all of this would fit the, 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 these people's, uh, the kind of humanitarians uh, or the, the, the pro-minority uh, groups, the leftists, let's call them, <clears throat> they're the ones who are really trying to give right. a, a voice or a, a, a body to to that idea. Right. That, let's say that it does exist. Look here. Uh, look how strongly I advocate for minority rights. Therefore, right. mm-hmm. that's I my mean, God, basically. That's my morality, and it came from yeah, me. So therefore, absolutely. so so they're actually victims of, uh, in a certain sense, um, they're they're victims of the removal of, of religion. They're, they're or, victims or of godlessness God. in a sense. Right. Like they're I mean, godless liberals. The fundamentalist Christians are kind of <laughs> they're kind of correct, and in, in they're, 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 they are victims of their own godlessness in a sense because they can't ha- they can't find anything right. big enough to put in the hole that they made. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and so they have this this real problem. I mean, it starts with Sam Harris's assertion. Like, think of the worst experience that any human being could have, like absolutely the worst. We're talking about like uh, a life of constant pain and torture and skin peeling and all this different stuff. Think about that. That's the worst. And then anything that pulls away from that becomes the good. That's their moral basis. And it's called hedonism, essentially. It's that the, the closer you get to enjoyment, to having a joyful life or whatever, the better things become. These people, they're simply saying, well, it's torturous to be a minority because when you're a minority, by definition, your issues, who you are, what you do is minor. Nobody gives a shit because you are not the majority, mm. right? But, and but that's that not fair. Pain- well, Why are so many white people driving this then if they're not the minority? Why are the white people doing it? Well, yeah, well, a lot of white lefties. Of, I mean, this began in a white, dominant white <laughs> academia. Why would you ask me that question? That is a hard question to answer. <laughs> I don't want to answer that question. <laughs> it goes to places I don't want to go on radio. <laughs> I don't want to be on a record explaining that one. <laughs> well, I think it's, I think it's, it's a personality type, basically. Uh, that, I mean, it's, this cuts across. It's not just minorities. Um, you know, people of color, actual people who are in a minority in a particular country or have a minority uh, sexuality or a minority uh, faith or whatever. It's 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 more about people who who have a, a gene, if you want to call it, or well, some so, so, well, some. It's kind become of, their religion, right? And so, so, what makes them attracted to that kind of a, a what makes a person attracted to uh, you know atheism or sec, secular materialism as opposed to uh, as opposed to someone who wants who, who sees a value in the idea of, or is happy with the idea of, of religion and a god, whatever way you conceive of it kind of thing. Well, it's a, it must come down to nature, right? It's a nature thing, no? Well, there's a component of it we could talk about, it, which is this kind of survivor's guilt right. from a weird situation. It's like, because of a lot of interesting coincidences, but also because of some, probably something that's like a little bit minorly intrinsic to the culture and the, and the race of white people, 
we kind of ended up on top. It's kind of lucky to, to a certain extent. We kind of survived. And we know in a sense that we didn't survive because we're so great and wonderful, but just actually because there was climate and there was the time and the situation and other empires had plagues and other empires had fallen and all these different things had kind of conspired for the West to have this kind of rise. And, and we've had it pretty good. And most of us in the West actually live incredibly wealthy, comfortable lives compared to like somebody living in sub-Saharan Africa, you know? I mean, even the poorest person in the U.S. is like wealthy beyond imagining to, to some, of the, some of the people who are starving in Africa. So there's a certain amount of survivor's guilt to this. It's like we didn't make it because we deserved it. I was just born into this and look at all the suffering in the world. And there are people who kind of have that, that feeling. You know, so here's a there's something for it. Here's a proposition. I mean, people often quote that idea of uh, when people have a very hard life. That that would lead them to question the existence of God. How can how can there be a good God oh, who would? But it 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 seems to be actually the opposite. That a person who has a harder life would tend to simply to put up with the the struggle of of of, of their difficult life. They would find solace, need to find mm-hmm. solace, an idea of a higher power, give some meaning to it. Whereas people from in in coddled kind of well-off secular Western societies are the ones who end up ditching. Ditching God, so it's the easier the life you have, the more likely you are to ditch God, as opposed to like you know in terms of suffering, etc. I'm I'm not just I'm just putting that out there as a possible idea. It seems that it's it's uh, it it may have some truth to it, you know. Yeah, it's like there are several things, several aspects that kind of come together in all this that are kind of hard to tease out and then put back together. And I think that's one of them. Is well, first it comes back to what you guys have already said about the whole created by the kind of death of God and how the the need for something that is good in and of itself has been replaced. Well, that, that need has been replaced by something else. So but before, you know, goodness itself, like godliness, holiness, or righteousness, or uh, which other, in other words, having a good character and doing the right thing has been the, the good to strive for. And that good has been exemplified by something higher than yourself, you know, God. And in, in Christianity, God through Christ. And when that goes away, so the one thing we have is that, okay, well, what is good in and of itself now? And it's been replaced by things like diversity and inclusivity. Mm-hmm. So these things are now good in and of themselves. Right. Without distinction, it's like that becomes the new holy goal to, to go towards. Mm-hmm. And and when you have, well, in the case of diversity and inclusivity and things like that, right. you, you lose a whole bunch of distinctions. Right. Because and the complexity of the idea of good and, good and evil, right. and good and bad, that's not so simplistic. Mm-hmm. It's not just, just simply being nice to other people is not necessarily good. What if you're nice to an asshole? Right. That's not good. That's not, you're not being good. So it's the idea of a, a, a definition of good and evil that is uh, beyond what human beings can really conceive of. And you, and you just have to simply accept the fact that you know, God defines what good or some transcendent or whatever has a, has a more complex, more nuanced uh, uh, conception or definition of what good and evil is. And it's beyond our ability to really grasp. We just have to accept and therefore have faith. Whereas uh, secularists or atheists basically say, well, no, it's, we'll, we'll, we'll define it. It's being nice. Just be nice. If I, if I feel bad, basically, then that's evil. Mm-hmm. If, if, something makes me, <clears throat> if something makes me feel bad, that, then that's evil. If, if I feel good, it's good. And the same for you. And then you go around and try and be nice to everybody. And anybody who does any microaggressions or anybody who offends anybody else, that's evil and must be destroyed. So it's, yeah, it's like people putting themselves in place of God, basically. Yeah. And another aspect to consider is the whole, uh, you know, industrial revolution, the, gr- the growth of technology and the fact that we live in such a, a wealthy 
culture and society that things become easy and you no longer have right. um, you know it becomes easy like you said to to deny uh, a higher existence and right. to to just you know live off or to, to be privileged in essence right. and um, so the thing that gives you an insight into a possible or that provokes a human being a human spirit whatever you want to call it to uh, conceive of something higher than themselves is suffering mm-hmm. effectively when you don't have that suffering well then you don't like you just said you don't need God you don't need anything we're, we're the be all and end all and we make all the rules and we're gonna yeah um, it's kind of interesting but then so maybe bringing that back to to this you know these ideas that we're analyzing the show of racism and right. all these isms it's like um well, so you got to be clear about what you mean by yeah, racism. Exactly, now, right? that's the what I want to do. The postmodernist definition yeah. of racism, which has changed, is now prejudice mm-hmm. plus uh, power, right? So, in order to be racist, you literally have to be a white mm-hmm. cisgendered male. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can't actually be racist, no matter how prejudiced you are, because racism is now prejudice plus power. If you don't have the power to implement your prejudice, then you can't actually be. Racist, right? Quote so, unquote. So there was this uh, this video. I think it was a. I think I saw it on a Sargon of Akkad video, where he's taking apart this kind of SJW um, woman who's talking about it's not racism, it's colorism. So this was she was looking at um, all these examples from um, like black culture or or like you know Brazilian culture, these different societies and different um, even minority groups who right. who are obviously. Um, what we what we would traditionally call racist against people like with darker skin than they are, even if they're colored. <coughs> right. And but that's not color or that's not racism. It's colorism because colored people can't be racist. Right. Because they don't have power. Right. Because they don't have power. So, but but if like if we just go take a step back before this whole postmodernism thing, I mean, <coughs> like when did the idea of racism first come up? I don't know when the word was first used. But uh, you mentioned xenophobia. I mean, that's a, a Greek word and a Greek concept. Right. And you saw, like, you, you would see that in, uh, like, in ancient Greece in the in the Hellenistic culture where there would be, it was basically, you know, the fear of the outsider. And you had your city-state, right? And there were foreign empires and foreign cities even <clears throat> that would, might want to, you know, uh, conquer your, your city-state, take it over, take your stuff, and uh, murder the men and take the women and children, <clears throat> enslave. So there's, like... So maybe we can tease apart like what might racism actually be, what it, where it comes from, like why it seems that ra- that humans seem to be racist in one sense, and then uh, you know take well, it from there in the in, in the now. So I mean, naming a thing doesn't imply the moral. There's two problems with racism. First, there's the technical definition of what does racism mean, and I would say if I were going to give it a definition, I would say that. Uh, racism is when you attribute to the individual the um, the attributes of the group that they belong to, mm-hmm. uh, racially speaking. Like uh, black people, all black people are the same, et cetera, and so forth. Or all white people are the same. Mm-hmm. Right? Or vice versa, right? Or, or vice versa. So now, now that's just an idea, right? It's just like you could think that and it would be a thought. Mm-hmm. But somewhere right. along the line, that thought became wrong. It used to be very popular, especially in the 19th century and, and even in like the early 20th century. It was a very popular idea, the idea that there were different races and there was a hierarchy of races like Margaret Sanger. She was – her whole Planned Parenthood kind of abortion thing was really about yeah. getting rid of the subhuman black man. That was her, her kind of goal. She in, ac- in academia in the late 19th century, it was the norm it actually. Was the norm. Scientific racism was all the thing. Right. And there was no tenor of 
this being morally wrong at the time. In fact, it was morally right. Right. Okay. And then at a certain point, probably around the civil rights era, there there came this sort of like I guess in a certain sense a collective guilt had built it up built up around it with the end of Jim Crow and the and the this, this, the work of Martin Luther King Jr. And around that time, there was also this was just this was just coming on the tails. You kind of have to realize, and it should be kind of noted that this was coming on the tail of McCarthyism and the fact that the media had largely been infested by this point with kind of neo-Marxist intellectuals from the postmodernist school. Damn commies. <laughs> Damn commies in a certain sense. Like he called them commies. But they, they got in charge of the narrative and they began to push the, the narrative of uh, that there is a moral value behind it. In, in a sense, that, that racism is not just a thing. It's not just a. It's not just a theory that's discredited in a certain sense. Like the academic theory of races is kind of discredited a little bit. Who knows, right? But at a certain point, it became a moral. It became a moral crime. It became a thought crime for you to even think prejudicial thoughts about any group of people. It was wrong, or, or said to be wrong. Uh, but if you were part of the victimized group of, but in a certain sense, it always had this flavor of it. You could, it was only one way, you know. I mean, black people couldn't really be racist against white people. I, I, there's a, a dictionary definition I have here of racism, but it has a key difference to what you described. You said it was any difference that, that people identify with another group, with their group, along the simple fact that there are differences between them. But the dictionary definition says it's prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race difference, but based on the belief that one's own race is superior. Right. I, I think that that's the key thing that they, they will, that's mm -hmm. the key thing they're going to lynch on because right. they're saying any, I think that they're coming out like any expression of difference is a subconscious maybe not verbalized or articulated, but it's a subconscious expression of I'm better than you. Right, but that that that, that definition is problematic, as the <laughs> leftists would like to say, because in a sense, like, uh, let's say, how are you going to argue against someone like Jared Taylor who admits the fact that Koreans are intellectually superior to whites? So he obviously doesn't think that he's very superior. It's not from a supremacist standpoint, but... Well, but even... Even taking a step like down further into the depths of just general human nature, if we forget about the academic ideas of scientific racism, right. you look at just cultures in general, and you'll find what would now be what would now be termed racism in every culture. Sure. Like so, you know, I'm looking at the map right now. You look at Japan. I mean, Japan is pretty they notorious for well for the Koreans, but they you, you walk around in Japan, you'll see signs like "We only serve Japanese." Right. And you'll have like the the white people who are um, born Japanese, Kaijin. yeah. Well, who live there, who speak fluent Japanese. It might be the only language they speak, and they're seen as foreigners. Right. And they'll they'll never be accepted as Japanese because right. they don't look Japanese. Right. And you, I mean, you see it between um, you know between groups in Africa. Um, another yeah. example, well, the you know what's going on in South Africa at the moment with the you know how the tables have totally mm -hmm. turned turned in terms of whites and blacks yeah. in. South Africa, I, like I mentioned Brazil er, earlier, like you'll find racism, as we'd call it, mm -hmm. between groups within a country that, like Americans in mm -hmm. their kind of, um, you know, bubble of 
right. of, of living wouldn't even would, would consider all to be um, you know minorities and discriminated against. But you've got discrimination going within the groups that are supposedly. So to what extent is this a, an American problem then? If other countries that are largely ethnically kind of homogenous, you know, like in, Jap in Japan or uh, or ethnically homo uh, homogenous, you know. Um, where that kind of racism is, is, is okay because, I mean, if I go to Japan and then, you know, I, I'll choose, I have to choose to live there or I don't type of thing. And, and if I don't, if I don't like it there because some restaurants say no, no whiteies, then I'll go, okay, well, I'll find a restaurant that does yeah. let me in or whatever. I, but, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's a personal choice in that, in that sense, but there's nothing wrong with Japan, like an island full of Japanese people all saying we prefer Japanese people. You know, I mean, for a Japanese man or a Japanese woman to want to marry a Japanese, you know what I mean? Is that racism? It's ridiculous, you know? So what, but, but a lot of other countries, at least until relatively recently, a lot of other countries were, other countries were largely uh, made up of, of predominantly, you know, the, major, the majority of the people in the country, the vast majority of the people in the country, all were one ethnicity and all ultimately had one uh, kind of religious background as well. Um, but America kind of broke the mold in that one. Within, within the past, I mean, well, since since the start of America, where you had this one big giant country, and it's the fact that it's a big country and has 300 and what 20, 30, 40 million people now, that means that it, its voice on the world stage is it's heard. If it was a small little country and, and it had the same kind of mix, it wouldn't be a big deal. But because it's so big, because it's a, a very powerful country, and over the past couple of hundred years, you had people from everywhere. You had this, you know, it was it was virgin territory back then. You know, but most other countries. Um, like the British, okay, the British spread around the world or whatever, but they didn't exactly spread British people everywhere, right? They went and colonized. The British Empire had, 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 had colonies and stuff, and they spread, you know, they built roads and all the wonderful things the British Empire did for 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 poorer for countries, right? Um, but they didn't spread British people everywhere, as in planting them in those countries. They didn't replace the... They didn't replace the existing, existing population. That's their main mistake. But America did, you know? But America didn't do it just with uh, with white Europeans, it was blacks, and then obviously it's set up right on the border with Mexico, where you have slightly non what uh, people of color. I don't know; they're a bit more brown. They're not black, but they're brown. Brown people, call them brown people. I don't know Mexicans. They call them Hispanic. Hispanic Come but on, they're, they're Spanish, right? They're, no, what color are they? I'm white. There's blacks. What color are Hispanics? White. They're separate. Tanned. No, they're not. They get what? a lot of sun. Well, we're using colors here. Come on, everybody uses the colors. Uh, some like the native, the, the indigena kind of. Indigenous Mexicans, maybe, but they're what? They're kind of brownish, I guess. Right. No, I'm you just know, going with the color Indians. color scheme here. People, somebody started the color scheme, but whatever. Okay. Anyway, is that is it racist to call somebody a color? I don't know. I don't okay. know. Anyway, don't care either. Um, no, the problem is, I think it is a problem with America. You have to understand. It's happening in America. Racist. Everything is racist. Everything is homophobic. Everything is sexist. Everything is xenophobic. Everything is Islamophobic. It can be. No, no, it is. I mean, uh, both both Hillary Clinton and Anita Sarkeesian have declared it so. Therefore, right, it must be the truth. Like everything is. Yes. So, I mean, the reason we're talking about this basically is because I don't think that racism as defined today actually exists. I don't think there is any large number of people, and anybody can is free to cite me statistics or I mean, do your own research, go out in the street and find me all the people, the large number of people uh, on the streets in, let's say, Western countries. Um, who are classically, technically, dictionary-wise, actually racist. Right. Uh, I don't think there are any. I don't think the average person in the street uh, displays any kind of racism and any kind of, uh, you know, um, I would in, go innate one racism. Further. I would go one further. I would say that white people are the least racist people on the face of the planet. They may well be. 
only because they're proactively trying to not be racist. Right. Like they've been like it's become a accused. part of their whatever is a white culture, white Western culture, which has largely been kind of eradicated and sort of like just been lost by this this secular movement of anti-traditionalism. The one thing that has been inculcated into into people since since this young childhood is this idea that whatever you be, don't be racist. Right. And so everyone is in a certain sense trying not to be racist, trying to be as least racist as possible. Trying to, that's why we have so many white people that are because again, I mean, it's like that's that's your your that's the replacement for your religious training right. and your you know you don't yeah. say the Lord's prayer. You you recite how much you are love all of the black and brown and purple and red people right. and and how sorry you are for. So in terms of numbers of people, it doesn't exist. Of course, you're going to be able to find some people who are classically racist members of the KKK or whatever white supremacist. Even groups then, like I grew up in Florida, and in Central Florida, it's it's you know on the coastline, it's all sort of like yuppies and snowbirds. But in Central Florida, there's some some backwoods hicks, and I went to school with two guys who literally were kind of in the KKK, mm. and they you know they did the usual stuff, and they were always talking about how they didn't like you know the N word this and. But then one day, an actual black student came to the school that we were at, and at first they were a little bit like, we don't like these black people. And within like a week, they had realized that he was actually pretty cool, and they started hanging out with him. And then the KKK stuff just disappeared. The whole we don't like black people disappeared. Right. I mean, most of the time when you find those people, it's pure and simple ignorance and absolutely right. no contact with anybody of that particular ethnicity right. because of other just, just messed, location. Other messed up in some other way and like you were saying earlier on that they probably have a lot more a lot other problems because they're basically personality disorder someone who's right. like running around saying i hate this specific so, uh, ethnic group that they've got a they've got a problem and most people in their society will know that they have a problem and say yeah that's the guy who's a bit nuts not just because he runs around shouting i hate ends or i hate whatever color people but um uh, he also has a lot of other personal problems because he's messed up, right? So what I'm saying is there's a tiny percentage of people like that in the population. The rest of the population who aren't like that uh, are not racist in any way, and certainly not racist. Of course, the the left radical leftists will accuse people of being um, basically unconsciously racist, uh, that that, uh, that they're almost genetically racist, yeah. that it's in, well, in their they DNA. They can't find any... They, they can't, can't find, find any... Any real everyday racism, so right? it's been repressed, or it's still there. It's right. It's, it's in part the of back. This. It's unconscious bias. Well, it's th that's, that's the point at which you see, like you're saying, racism as it was commonly understood has largely been eradicated or disappeared because people mix and they communicate more with each other within a country and with other peoples all over the world. It has naturally died a death. Because but along comes white privilege, the definition of which is. All white people are guilty of systemic racism by birth. By birth. Yeah, you can't right. do anything about it. It's born. You're born <laughs> it's it's like, born into well, you. I mean, it but is a racist is that not doctrine. The like, it's a racist doctrine. Is that not what they accused the Jews of? Hitler accused the Jews of? Right. That kind of thing? That they were guilty of Jew privilege, yeah. No, but, no, but they were born, they were they born, born evil. Right, born yeah. subhuman. Right. Well, I mean, these people are, are Nazis. I mean, you kind of have to understand that. Like, this is the kind of people who became Nazis. You know, oh, these are the anti and they, they are in a, they in a certain sense they are the actual only racists because they are literally racist. They, they think that they think that you have some quality by virtue of your birth, by right. virtue of your birth and your membership in a race, which right. is well the definition of racism. But they want to help and you. And they think that they're better than you. But it's bad. Yeah, well, they it's think bad. that you're better than you of in your natural state, right? So they are actually technically by the definition racist. Right. The thing that you're born with, though. <laughs> They, they they try to convince you that it's bad. They say that well, obviously they, the way they define it, it's bad. You know, you're right. you're kind of inherently or naturally 
right, uh, so racist, and therefore we want to help you to to uh, you know exorcise this in the early from stages, your being in the early stages. But eventually, they will give up on that thing, and they will just it will be like you know you couldn't sort of you couldn't convert to Nazism if you were a Jew. You know there there was no right. there was no choice between the showers or or the party. You know I right. mean. And that's how these people are ultimately going to go. If they get power, that's where they'll go. I mean, but there's a lot of people they can, they are convincing and converting. No, a lot, and that's where you get a lot of the white the white uh, people have joined the radical left. This kind of movement, the the you know feminist movement and the uh, minority rights minority rights movement. You have a lot of white people, right. particularly white men, right. and their goal, right? It's really juicy when you get one of them, right? right. When you get them, uh, what's the term? Well, this <laughs> triggered. <laughs> triggered. What do they become? They become allies. Cucks. Cucks. <clears throat> no, I mean the, the problem is, is like uh, a lot of those men who are uh, like male feminists, like they are not really feminists in a real sense. They are under the delusion that the pretense of feminism will lead to some benefits for them. Mm. Right? Everybody's in it for themselves. Yeah, they're, they're like, and and many feminists have sort of pointed this out that men can't really be feminist, and that male allies really are kind of a, a shifty bunch of people. And the the feminists have pointed this out, and the anti-feminists have pointed this out that there's something wrong about that group of men who sort of pretend to be really really concerned about the women's. So. I kind of wouldn't really consider them. I consider them as people who are trying to be opportunistic and thinking like the Matt McGorries and the Steve Shives and all these different people that they somehow believe or are actually getting something out of. They get close to certain types of liberal women, pink hair, you know, uh, free love types. Is, you know, all they have to do is say, don't worry, I'll, I'll use a butt plug and it'll be fine and you know that kind of stuff. So these people are not really feminists, and you shouldn't consider them feminist, or you shouldn't consider mm. them uh, – even when they when they even when they go and hang out with, like, Black Lives Matter, and, the, and it seems like they have the white guilt. Really, they're just sort of there because they think that they're going to get power and uh, kudos well, about, and – But what about – yeah, and what about white uh, – so talking about white privilege, what about white privilege in terms of um, – White Coast on the, for, on the, in the chat room said that – White privilege, white privilege means that your society accords you certain benefits because of your white race. Right. Like having more makeup options in your skin tone. Right. There you go. So that would be a great example. Right. But, that would be a great example of, of white privilege. Right. But uh, he, he says, though, Jordan Peterson has said that that's just majority privilege. It's not right. white privilege. Of course. Because a, generally a, speaking, if you manufacture um, makeup, makeup you're gonna uh, you would, make you would basically say, like, how much of this can I sell? How much of mm. that can I sell? And mm. the – Generally speaking, you're just going to sell more to the majority right, so you of make, shoppers. So you make more of that. So you make more of that. Make it more appealing. But the thing is, is when you when you drill down to it and people start talking about white privilege, it is stuff like this because in reality, in Western society, white people are not privileged uh, by that's the society. That's heresy, Jason. Right. I mean, that's, that's actually exactly the, exact the opposite. opposite. Well, it's exactly the opposite. I mean, you have sort of diversity hiring programs and affirmative action right. and all these different positive, what they call positive discrimination mm. uh, programs. So in a certain sense, the only institutionalized privilege in the West right now that exists is privilege for two types of people, mm. women and uh, minorities, quote mm -hmm. unquote. Uh, because there's, there's generally speaking, like the, the revelations from the James Damore thing basically show and, and Google has admitted to it, and it's all kind of out in the open, and people have the emails, and all this stuff is circulating around, that they basically said, 
uh, get rid of all the white men mm. uh, from from the job applicants. Forget about white men. We are only high. We want to hire this number of black people, this number of Latino, or, or they call them Latinx in the email. You know, Latinx, Latina, Latino. Mm. <laughs> uh, we want this many Latinx people, and we want this many, you know, uh, gay people type of stuff. So, I mean, the only kind of systemic positive discrimination or any kind of systemic racism or sexism in the West is in favor of minority groups. Right. That's the unfortunate truth. So did we actually answer this, answer the get to the heart of the matter at the beginning of the show where we said <laughs> that it's basically about uh, godlessness that has given rise to this at this well, point in tangentially time? Tangentially, it's, it's about that. And it's not really, like, it's about godlessness. It's about the search for a secular moral standard. Right. And these this group, of this particular group of people... The problem is, is the confluence of groups of people. So there's this, this kind of people who are looking for the good in the world, and they are convinced that the good is now being anti-racist, anti-homophobia, anti-Islamophobia. Right. Because they're, they're obviously the good. they're obviously bad things. At least when you when you describe them. Um, I mean, they can be understood by many people system, as bad yeah, as bad things. If, if, if that's part of your value system, if sure. you explain them in very simplistic terms, like like being bad to someone because they're simply because their skin color. A vast majority of people would say, well, yeah, that's, that's bad. Yeah, that's uh, probably Being bad. bad to anybody because they are that person. It's basically anti-Semitism. It's almost like, I mean, I don't want to blame, I don't want to get on the, the Jews thing, you know? Um, the JQ. What's that? That's the, that's the nomenclature, the JQ. The JQ, what does it stand for? The Jewish, Jewish question. question. Oh, the Jewish question, okay. The Jewish question, but this, it seems like the, the, the whole, the anti-Semitism um, meme essentially that has that spread across you know certainly since well it's been around for I don't know how long uh, 100 years 150 years in, in modern history but certainly since the establishment of the state of Israel and everything and any criticism of Israel is conflated with uh, anti-Semitism in fact anything you say even vaguely negative about anybody of the Jewish faith is anti-Semitism uh, and then you're also accused of being uh, most all non-Jews are accused of being uh, fundamentally, by nature, uh, born anti-Semites, basically. You don't know it, uh, so you have no way of knowing when you're being anti-Semitic, because in your genes you will like, just express it. I mean, you're basically dangerous. To, to, a, goy, a goyim or non-Jew is dangerous to Jews simply because he, is a non, he or she is a non-Jew, because at any moment you would just... A, a notion would take you and you'd want to gas all the Jews. You know, uh, at any moment, that's what can happen. So... Uh, you're fundamentally anti-Semitic, and it, it, it seems to be very similar to the, the accusations that radical leftists make about people who are not radical leftists, which right. is that you are fundamentally evil, uh, you're born that way, and we have to help to Says an interested uh, cure, party. cure you. Says an interested party. I mean, they're an interested party. I mean, if, if a Black Lives Matter protester comes up to you and says, you know, you're racist, you have white privilege, all this different stuff, it'd be like, and then... Where does the value system come from that makes me think that I should value your assessment of me? Mm. Like if you come to me and say, I think that you're a racist, sexist, homophobe, I would be like, well, since I'm I'm white, male, and not gay, your judgment of me has no meaning. Where does the value system come from? And that's why we're saying like the core of this is the added component of saying that there is a – a core moral value. It's immoral to be racist. It's immoral to be sexist. You know, it's immoral to be transphobic or Islamophobic, right? Mm. That's the extra step because otherwise it's just a statement of you thought about blueberries today. It's like, well, I think about blueberries a lot. 
But suddenly they're seen saying, well, bah, yes, but everyone knows that thinking about blueberries is immoral. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're a dirty blueberry thinker. Right. But it, it does gain some traction. Because it's in just the, a thought in your head. Well, but it does gain some traction whenever – I might eat blueberries. With the average Maybe person. I'll throw blueberries at somebody. No, blue, I'm a filthy blueberry. There's nothing wrong, with, <laughs> nothing wrong with blueberries, let's say, uh, you know, um, although some blackberries might disagree. But uh, <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, see, it's colorism. It's, it's uh, proof of colorism. But – no, the thing is, and the reason is, my, my, my primary concern here is, is the way in which it infects otherwise normal people who might have a bit of common sense, how it infects this, this leftist ideology, infects uh, their minds and takes hold in their minds. And I see it happening as a thing. If you and accept it's an the appeal, value. It's an appeal, but it's an appeal to something that is nominally on the face of it is, uh, is, is a moral thing to do. Like I just said, don't be racist. You know, So right. it's not really the same as saying... I like blueberries, or I don't like blueberries. It's well, like only because I it don't... has moral force, right? It's just a thought. In the grand scheme of thoughts, right, every thought is equivalently a thought, right? Until then you say, well, some thoughts have moral force behind them. Right, because of the implications of them. Because of the implications right. of them, right? You know, as a man is, is in his heart, so is he in his action. Right, That's so you end up killing all the minorities. If you think, if you think bad. badly of minorities, very, you are going to genocide them you are going to oppress them you are going right. to do all this different stuff he this is from whence comes the moral authority to say right. that it's bad otherwise it's just a thought among millions of other well, thoughts. that is a valid but, but that is a valid moral uh, why is it a valid moral one the idea that arbitrarily in any society kind of like just you know kind of almost whimsically or a bit on the base of some prejudice that isn't even real and irrational prejudice let's say that you'd go and start a war and kill a bunch of people and then that's bad for society in general. Right, and the narrative so is that's happened in the past, right? Right, the with Hitler. Is, is it happened in the past with Hitler, right? right. That's probably the main Because thing. Hitler, yeah. Because Hitler. That, right. But again, like you find that you find like when you start to analyze the postmodernist position and the social justice warrior position, you realize that it is set up so that you cannot win because mm. you will always come to, ah, but Hitler. And it's just like, okay, well, now we need to spend five hours talking about how this is – how you are like Hitler and I'm not, but they won't understand. Like mm -hmm. you get into the, all this problem. It is basically – it's a setup in, in this game where you are checked at every – all you can do is you can refuse to accept the presuppositions and therefore be free of the system. If you accept the presuppositions, you can – delude yourself into thinking that you are not part of it. You can think I'm rational. I'm like a light version of an SJW. I think that some social justice is good, but not all these crazy ones. You know, the ones where like, I'm a leftist, but I'm not with the radical leftists. Yeah. That's bullshit. If you accept the secular presuppositions, you are in the trap. You are in the drain. Right. You might be on the outside of the drain, but one day you are going to right. be in the center of the and drain. And your moderate voice isn't isn't the dominant voice in that in that in that grouping. You can be on the edge of the circle, or you know, towards the edge of the circle, and say, "Well, I'm out here. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not extremist like the extremists in the in the middle of the in the core. You know." Right. But the problem is the extremists in the middle, in the middle are, are the ones who are getting all of the attention, and they're leading. They're going to drag you and everybody else in the circle to a certain destination. So I'm sorry, you can't. You, you don't. You know, there's no validity to claiming I'm a I'm a sensible liberal. I, you don't don't say libtards because you don't even know what liberals are. And I'm not a radical leftist. I'm just leftist. I'm just for some good things and stuff. Well, dude, I'm sorry, but someone's overtaken your your cause. Someone has appropriated, you know. 
uh, your 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 ideology affected your leftist uh, political bent, and they're taking it somewhere pretty scary, and you're going with them. You're well, you're aiding taking, and abetting them. About, well, well, they're taking it to the logical conclusion, right? That's the problem with postmodernism. I find it funny whenever I see a scientist or someone coming to defend the Enlightenment against postmodernism. It's like postmodernism is the logical, rational conclusion to modernism. Basically, modernism. <laughs> like these people weren't stupid. They they really did kind of see a basic problem, which is is mm-hmm. hollow out God. We got some serious problem. Ultimately, the problem comes down is that uh, moral good is made by 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 power by fiat. That's the the ultimate conclusion uh, of postmodernism is that whoever has the power makes the makes the moral makes the authority rules. makes the. Uh, uh, in a certain sense, is. like that filtered out into them. It started as basically like textual analysis of saying, well, whoever is the, the dominant uh, group gets to decide the interpretation of the text or the, the, the interpretation right. of the cultural whatever, the interpretation of the culture. And then it filtered out to basically might makes right. If we can beat people over the head enough to make them accept uh, ethnic diversity over uh, ideological diversity – then by fiat, we can make it right. We make it a moral good by definition. And all you have to do is then keep beating people. Anyone who pops up, like whack-a-mole, you hit them with the stick to keep them down, and you have made moral good. You have solved the problem of where, from whence comes morality, where is the good, by basically beating people over the head. And that's kind of what postmodernism is leading to, and that's what scientism, modernism as a philosophical thing is leading to. It's the logical conclusion of it. You can't escape it. You can place yourself on the spectrum a little bit further back ideologically. You can put yourself into 1950s postmodernism, and then it's far more mild and less, and less obvious that you're going to end up in, in 20, 2018. Even though if you really look at it, you were always going to end up in 2018 yeah, in because that's where it had to go. Yeah. you know. And it's like it's every generation always goes more extreme than the previous one. And the old people are like, these young whippersnappers are taking it too far. But it's the same for philosophies and ideologies. Mm-hmm. It's like Marx was a, was a lightweight. But he was an underachiever. He didn't go far enough. The neo-Marxists yeah. have upgraded the ideas. They've, they've taken identity politics of class identity, uh, of even gender identity, which was part of Marxism as well. They've upgraded it into this fractionated uh, gender identity spectrum uh, of different races and pseudo races and half this and this and people. I mean, they've just made it more of what it was. And everyone, and like you have like this, uh, God, I forget his name. He's, he's a good guy. He's, a, he's an Irish, I think. Oh, no, he's an Englishman. I was no game. He's a communist. What's his name? Oh, O'Brien. Brian. James O'Brien? No. no. Radio host? Damn it. I, this uh, <laughs> just ruined my track of thought. He's like, he's, he's, he's well-liked. He's well-liked because he's a, he's a communist and out-and-out communist, but he's anti-mock. Oh, yeah. Anti-what he calls third-wave feminism. Mm. Like, like, like that exists. And he's like, you know, anti-these postmodernists and stuff like that. But he's just... He's just kind of like a traditionalist in the neo-Marxist vein. Like he's like, let's go back to traditional values and <laughs> traditional <laughs> Marxist values. Well, but the one of the tragedies of this this whole progression has been by that by creating this new good or searching for this new moral goodness, the thing that gets thrown out is all the things that have all the good things that have traditionally been thought of as good. So it kind of it you kind of level out the playing field, get rid of all values, all traditional values. Then you then you can inst- uh, introduce the things that you want to 
to become the new values like inclusivity and diversity and all these things. But then the mm-hmm. the, the terror, like the the nightmare scenario, is that in the future, you know, if these people get power, for instance, then they will do exactly what the Soviets did. You know, the Bolsheviks. The, like they will, it will be bloody. And like and violent, many people will die. And a lot of these people, like you know, the ones you described on the fringe of the of the toilet bowl, right. you know, they're the ones that are that are going to get flushed. Well, they're going to get eaten, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because the problem is, is the, the problem is, is that this ideology has a unique feature, which is why you all, which is why political polarology was written about communism in Russia. I mean, communism in Poland, right? There's a reason why it was leftist communists. This particular ideology attracts a certain type of person but a person who doesn't have the courage of their convictions. They want to see a result in the world, but they just can't bring themselves to dominate and slaughter the way that they're going to have to, because if you want to take over the world, you have to, you know, you want to make an omelet, you have to break a few eggs. So you have this huge group of people who have a belief in a, in a utopia. And it's right across the way. We could just get to it. If only we could get to it, but there's all these people in our way and we don't have enough balls to kill them. We need to find somebody in our society who can, and they do. They find a hangman. They find a Lenin or a Stalin or somebody. They find this person, and that person is willing to do the dirty stuff, but that person is almost always a psychopath. Mm-hmm. And they give the power to that person thinking, he's going to take care of it. He's going to bring about the utopia. And then they just kind of ignore the screams of the people that have to die in order for their utopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they end up becoming victims of the very person that they give the power to. Yeah. Right. And it's not just the Lenin or the Stalin. It's like that's just a – that's just the – Or the of, Hitler or whatever. It, that's the – what's the word? Like the the exemplar of, of what happens at every level of society. So there's a hangman in every village. Right, exactly. And, and in every every community, every right. every division that you can think of within that society, there's a hangman. And he's doing, right. the, he's doing the job that the the – you know, the fellow travelers, you know, just want to close their eyes to so they don't have to, they right. don't have to deal with it. They can, they there's can always an event Falarka. There's always yeah. an event Falarka, someone who's willing to, 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 punch, to, yeah. to punch people, you know, mm-hmm. um, at every level. And, and also they're not always, they're not always murderous in the, in the true sense of the word. Like they, they could just be like, they could ruin your career mm-hmm. or they, they, they're, they're willing to lie and make false reports and, mm-hmm. and get you yeah. fired or, or yeah, do pretty, all this kind of stuff. Pretty mean people. Petty like tyrants. They're, 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 they're petty psychopaths. Mm-hmm. And, and people glom onto them because they're willing to go the extra mile and do all of the horrible things that the, that the leftist, who is, is really kind of a cuck and doesn't have the courage of his convictions, can't do. And that's why well, leftist convictions, convictions, tyrannies are the worst. But their convictions are all humanitarian. How could they ever lead a, revolu- a bloody revolution? They're all about helping people, and that's you know, what the well, communist well, revolution was all about. Well, exactly. Right, right. They're but all about becomes... protecting people and minorities and being nice to each other, and no triggers or no, uh, you know. Um, but it becomes mathematical. Microaggressions, trigger warnings, all that kind of stuff. Those people, how could those people ever who are concerned about that? How could they ever lead a violent revolution? Because it becomes mathematical to them. If, if 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 I have to kill one to save a thousand, aren't I making a moral choice? Right. Well, and the, the people that you're fighting are animals. It's like they're evil. They're subhuman. In fact, you can see that. If you, if you look at like some of the deep feminist and, and deep, uh, deep leftist blogs, they've started talking about like the, the white male, the normal person as being subhuman, the subhumans who don't recognize the, the, horrible, the horrible truth of rape culture and patriarchy and white privilege. 
that those they literally call them subhuman. Like it's already kind of begun as a language yeah. inside of that group. They, well, they've been caught on a number of occasions. Uh, expressing, articulating what they probably are, where, where it's leading to at the centre of the drain, right. white genocide. Right. Now, strictly, they probably don't mean that. Subconsciously, they don't. They're probably thinking what you're thinking. What you're saying is, anyone who's not ideologically correct, right, is earmarked for genocide. We need to right. start making lists, that kind of well, thing. Well, and just look right. at the look at the whole situation going on in the American and well and Canadian universities, like where you have a these conservative or even semi-conservative speakers um, like Jordan Peterson or Ben Shapiro or uh, you know Sargon of Akkad, well, they'll, they'll, they'll go and speak. And you look at the, the SJWs that are protesting and like, they're scary. Like they, like you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of that. And it's, the, the, there's a, there's a level of demonization that is so like irrational that you can you can just you can imagine what it would be like like during the Soviet Revolution, right. like where where these people like imagine being Jordan Peterson and thinking well these people are protesting against a person and it's not me, right. but but you're the one that they're aiming their sticks at and right and you're the burning man right it's like that's the situation that the people on the receiving end find themselves in well I can see that you're angry I can see that you want to kill someone and I can see that you want to kill me but the person that you're actually you know, um, so ve- vehemently against that's not me. It's like right. you don't you don't know me, right? But but they do. They think they do, and there that won't stop them from you know. Well, they do lynching you. Like he's wrong when they say that. Like he's wrong when they say that they're arguing against someone who isn't him, right? And yeah. he should know. And he knows why he's wrong, because like you have to read Gustav Le Bon's The Crowd, and you have to understand that when people are together in a group. They think about things in terms of the archetype that you're representing. And they are correct that he represents the harbinger of their doom. Now, he doesn't want to kill them, really. Like, it's not really going to be a genocide, but it's going to be a genocide of ideology. And that's what is actually being risked. And a lot of people don't realize that that you, like me at least, we represent a genocide of their ideology. That is kind of like, it's it's really... It's not going to, it's not physical violence. It's not really hurting them, but it's, it's, there is a real desire in a lot of people, including Jordan Peterson, to annihilate the neo Marxist ideology, that it is evil in a way that is hard for people to understand unless they've really, really looked at what did it feel like to be a person in Russia and taken and lined up against the wall and being shot because you didn't agree with an economic theory. Like how crazy and ridiculous and mind-numbingly unfair and almost disturbing it must have been that what do you mean you don't agree with the alienation of labor and and how we should handle surplus capital? It's time to go to the wall. And that's ridiculous. These people were not only ridiculous, but it's evil. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the, in the, the tens and tens of millions of people who have died, like, they task me. Like, this has to be destroyed. You know, people, and there is kind of like a coming conflagration. It's it's time for us to kill Marx, in a sense, to get rid of him, to get rid of this ideology. So they, their existential threat is an ideological existential threat. So they're, they're not wrong when they see him as this horrible, he is the destroyer. 
in, in, in a very profound ego sense. They're wrong in the particular words they use to describe him, right. but those words themselves are just newspeak. Like, it's just, it's all double talk. It's, right. It, that's just the code word that they're saying for what they really mean, and the, what they really mean is you're dangerous because you can see through our facade. Right, yeah, you can see through the mask. You know who we are. You know what we're going to do, and what is worse, you're going to stop us, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's existential. And that's why they go so extreme because they recognize the thing is, is everyone else. The real problem that's going on now is everyone else doesn't seem to recognize the existential nature of the problem that's going on. They don't realize and they won't and they never do. They didn't in Russia until they were lined up against the wall. And, they, and suddenly before the bullet passed through their head, the last thought that passed through it was, oh, this shit's for real. Um, <laughs> so. Stephen in the chat room said that there are plenty of examples of capitalist supporters uh, or capitalist supporters of capitalism engaging in mass murder of leftists uh, around the world. Right. And he says that Marx is being caricatured. Oh, Marx is being caricatured. Yes. Well, I didn't actually specifically caricature Marx. I could, (laughs) but I didn't. Like, I was talking about neo-Marxism and postmodernism. You said Marx Marx was a lightweight. (laughs) Yeah, but basically Marx was an underachiever because he really just kind of thought, hey, this is going to be scientific socialism. Hey, Mm. this is going to be a, a new perfect economic theory. Like, he was just an economist who spends, like, you know... 80 pages in Das Kapital or more talking about what a commodity is, mm. you know, defining well, it. So. And even even Stalin, like I'm reading a biography of Stalin right now, um, a new one by a Russian historian, Oleg Klevniak. And one of the things that surprised me early, like reading about his relatively early life, and this was in, uh, well, the beginning of the revolution. So um, in 1917, Stalin was actually a moderate. Right. And he was part of the moderate groups. And the, the moderates wanted to to support the provisional government. Because they saw, they thought that the the communist you know utopia, the dictatorship of the pro, of the proletariat, was a far off goal. You know, it would be the the industrialized nations that would first have the revolution, and then eventually Russia would get it. Mm. But for now, we just got to play the game, and this is this is better than the the you know the czar. So we should just go along with the provisional government. Stalin was part of that group, and you know Lenin was like, well, no, if we can take it, we want to take it now, and. And there's nothing that's going to stop us, and we're not going to have any, you know, no, um, you know, no moral inhibitions whatsoever. Mm. And so, so it's always the, you know, even there's always a group of moderates, like, and, and these are the same people we've been talking about that don't see, they, they don't maybe know that what the, what's really going on yet. They're just kind of caught up in the fervor and the and the ideology and like, and you know, true believers in Marx. And then it's the people like Lenin that that's that shape and mold the revolution mm. and um, and take it down a really dark path. And then, then a person like Stalin, like Stalin was a great opportunist, opportunist and he was very, um, like a very effective person. Like mm-hmm. he, he was, like I'd say, you know, high in conscientiousness. Like he, right. was, he was a hard worker. He was competent. He was competent at what he did, but he was, he was competent like in evil. Right. And so when we say like, well, this is just in reference to the comment about uh, caricaturizing Marx, it's like, well, no... It's just that Stalin was kind of the, the logical conclusion of Marx that mm-hmm. Marx himself couldn't see. Mm-hmm. Right, and in a sense, but like to, to go back to this guy's thing, he's, he's pulling a, a Christopher Hitchens in a certain sense, right? So uh, now I don't know the exact history here on this particular event. I just remember seeing Hitchens use this technique against somebody arguing against this leftist naughtiness. So at some time during the French Revolution, 
there was this uh, group of kind of like early proto socialist kind of people who basically took over a, a, a town. I might have, I don't know which one anyway. And they, and they basically started killing everybody uh, who wasn't uh, down with their stuff. Right. So they did this, they took over, they instituted their own government. They had their tribunals. They did all this stuff, blah, 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 killed a whole bunch of people. And then somebody sent in the army and the army came in and saw what they had done and killed them all. It basically took all of the leftists and shot them. And Christopher Hitchens was arguing that basically they were morally equivalent to each other. And it's like, well, hold on a second. No, they're not. The ones who rebelled, who then started killing everybody, those people were evil. And when the army came in to bring back order, saw all the slaughter that they had done and then killed them, they were not outside of – they had the moral authority to do it because of what they did. Mm. Well, so, so Hitchens' basic argument was that there was moral equivalence between these two, and it's like, well, if they, if you feel that there's moral equivalence, then we have a fundamental problem of values. It's like, well, what could they have done? They see, you know, family members slaughtered. They see these people. They've basically killed all the magistrates, killed all the business leaders, done all this different stuff, running amok in the thing. What were they? What were they were supposed to do? Be nice. Well, you don't have to go back to the, the French Revolution probably for to get examples no, of, no, what I'm just, talking, I'm, of what he's talking about. I right. mean, you take you take other examples uh, more recently right. of of America. And this would get into American imperialism and yeah, America America going in and um, you know, using, let's say, mm-hmm. the yeah. the claim of the communists are coming. <coughs> the communists, the commies are coming to take over this part of the world. Mm-hmm. And, and going in and staging coups and, and, and you know killing lots of people or, or causing the deaths right. of lots of people Project who really Phoenix, who know. really didn't know what communism was, right. but you know kill them all because they possibly were you know they they, they were being swayed by by leftist um, leftist ideology and that didn't fit with American corporate imperialism uh, their plan for that part of the world type of thing you know that's what he's saying. Yeah. Oh man, that's just a, a well, minefield. True. That's a minefield that I don't want to go into. But I would say that I don't agree, actually. But it's actually true that they did do that. Uh, maybe I don't know. But I think there's plenty of plenty of plenty of historical uh, historical um, accounts of of America going around the world, either fomenting, causing, uh, you know, <clears throat> killing civilians, let's say, en masse for. Um, in the name of America, which is in the name of American capitalism, in the name of Coca-Cola, let's right. say, and, uh, and 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 claiming to be doing <coughs> it for like freedom and democracy and that kind of stuff, but actually killing a bunch of people and destroying a country and leaving it in a lot worse state than it was I'm before. I'm going to say that which I don't have would... specific details of any any specific one. Like I don't have like some sort of deep researched history of that. Well, it's not. You don't have to have right? deep so, researched so, history. Right. So, so I don't. So I can't argue against it. Every single one that I've looked at that has been claimed to have been that, when I looked at it, I felt, no, there was a little bit more complexity here. Well, let's go super. Specifically like the Vietnam War. Like the Vietnam War, I, I understand it from, a, from America's perspective. And I think that um, actually, yeah, I know why they did it and I know why it got screwed up. So I don't – like that would be one example. But I don't go around and collect up all of these sort of stories of, mm. oh, America sent in combat applications group and they killed a bunch of civilians. Sometimes you end up finding out that CAG was sent in to train the local tortures, and it was them killing each other. I mean, so I've never seen any convincing evidence, well, but there's lots of it. I, I'll take your word for it. But um, I mean, I'm American meddling, and you can say it's all fair. 
in the sense of you know it's all fair and love and war type of thing, and you do what you have to do, and it's like the world is there, it's it's uh, the world's your oyster type of thing. Right. Go and get what you can, and it's dog right. eat dog type of thing, and that's right. what that's what America did. And you can say it's all fair in that respect, but then we can't be on our moral high horse about uh, about uh, you know leftists, let's say, doing the same thing if that's what quote unquote. American capitalist. I don't know if they're even conservatives. The problem is that they weren't even conservatives in that sense. I mean, they were just they're just out for booty. They're out for personal power uh, and, and, and personal gain. You know, and wealth basically. That's what. So um, I mean, this comes into like there's a bit of an argument to, to be made about the U.S. and the extent to which it is in and of itself controlled by leftist socialists. Well, and has been for a long time. I mean, because there's nothing intrinsic to capitalism. To basically sending yeah. the army in to ensure m- corporate monopolies—that's not actually capitalism. That's much more close to what we would call fascism, to be quite honest. Yeah. I'm very close to even communism to a certain right, extent. Right, it's fascism. There, there's there's no real separation between the the government and that corporation. So it's like that's fascism. And in, the, and in America, I would not really define America as a capitalist country. I would define it as a fascist country. Oh, and it's it is, been yeah. a fascist country since right. the 1930s. Right. Right. So again, like this yeah. whole idea that it's capitalism, it's like that's yeah. a Marxist thing. I'm not defending right. capitalism in any sense because capitalism is just a description of a basic economic mechanism. Right. And capitalism works. It's the best, capitalism, best of a bad lot. <clears throat> capitalism, as most leftists talk about it, that's Marx's definition, which is whatever the fuck mm. it is. I mean, who knows what it is? I mean, I mean, these people shouldn't be arguing capitalism versus socialism. Like, you know, and it should be – capitalism, it seems to – uh, have the best opportunity of, of let's say, of the of creating a what is capitalism? Creating creating a truly fair society, uh, or as fair as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. A fair society is possibly can. We, we have to define capitalism. Like we have to define what is capitalism. That's the problem. You see, like yep. the the leftist says capitalism, and everyone acts like they know what they mean. It's like, hold on a second. What is capitalism? Right. Yeah, well, capitalism is the idea that somebody with money can invest that money, can right. own the means of production privately, right. and can get people to work on. You can buy a loom and then hire somebody to work on the right. loom, and then that's, you take the stuff that the loom did and you sell it. That's that's really kind that's, of what we're talking about here. It's a very simple mechanism. It has no moral or ideological force to it. Right. It's just that's why not, I say it's the best economic system. You have to just, like people conflate capitalism with. Um, conflate capitalism as an economic policy with the way that it is go- way that it is implemented. Obviously, any system can be exploited and turned into the opposite of what what are, are like let's say corrupted. What people people shouldn't be arguing for socialism and more welfare state and more handouts from the government and the socialist utopia if they don't like capitalism as it, it has as it has grown and, and, and developed in, in Western countries, they should be arguing for responsible capitalism. Yeah. Well, I, you don't have a bunch of people at the top who are going to mismanage a capitalist society. And the problem is, is that a lot of the people that rail against capitalism are capitalists at heart. And they don't even know it or they won't admit it to themselves. Right. You know, they've got their cell phones, their, you know, their, their smartphones, and they're, right. they're, they're reaping all the benefits of living in a, a, mo- a nominally capitalist yeah, but culture. They, yeah. They hate themselves for it, though. right? And if they, if they if they really had um, you know if they if they really had true convictions and were had integrity, you know they'd do something about it and they'd stop being capitalists and yeah. they'd be a lot worse off. And yeah, and Stephen here took the, the same guy who said uh, about the about the capitalists uh, capitalists doing the same thing as, as a socialist, whatever. 
He says the U.S. is controlled by leftist socialists. He's quoting you, Jason. The U.S. is controlled. My God, you're not making much sense. But of course, if you're a leftist, I wouldn't make much sense. Like I'd be talking gobbledygook. No, but but hang on. It can be easily explained, relatively easily explained. Yes, $1.2 trillion every year is transferred from the people who work to the people who don't. Right. No Socialism. matter what. You know, no matter, no matter if it's what. a Democratic or Republican administration. The point is these terms don't. Don't serve the purpose. Uh, yeah. Capitalist, capitalist, socialist, leftist, whatever. Don't serve. I mean, because uh, we don't have to. You have you have to explain what's actually happening in a country like America in other terms than some catchphrase and some slogan like, right. "Oh, it's leftist. Oh, it's capitalist." No, it's not. Look at what's actually happening and what they're doing, and then just some describe aspects, that. There's no there's no terms. Some to describe that. aspects of America have a capitalist bent for a short period of time, right? So utilities certainly don't. A big pharma, not capitalist. It is government-insured monopolies. That is what is going on in America and has been going on. But then big pharma company uh, CEO, they're not are capitalist. Getting, but they're getting stacks of cash. But is that right, not right, synonymous not, with capitalism? Yeah, but that's, that's, that's again, they're getting stacks of cash. But behind that, deep down behind that is the idea that there's something more – like that they're doing something. They're getting stacks of cash. But they're going wrong. in and out of the FDA, like they become the chairman of the FDA for one for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden now they're the chairman of such and such right. a big. So you're saying it's a false, it's a false comparison or false uh, to, to say that because CEOs of the biggest companies in the U.S. are getting like you know twenty thousand dollars an hour or something paid, they're getting millions. Who cares what they get? Right. That that the fact that they're getting that should not be kind of correlated with. People being poorer. Wealth in is not wealth is not capitalism, right? Capitalism is. Well, people do correlate it because they, they say that CEO who's getting who's getting two hundred million a year. Yeah, but well, he could take ten million a year India. and give one hundred and eighty to the poor people. But that's envy and resentment, and who cares what he makes? Well, what if he, what they're trying to make the claim that because he makes so much, other people have less as a direct result? Well, not necessarily. Other people are in grinding poverty as a direct result. Not really. Like, well, I that, don't know how they prove yeah, that. That's the way they see it. But like, I don't think many people get upset that um, – well, at least they don't get as upset that some um, athletes or artists or actors get you right. know, are, are super rich. No, like, it's it doesn't, the politicians and right, the CEOs. Right, it's the politicians and, and the CEOs of big companies. That, like, there's something about, about the businessman that, that rails on people and you know, yeah. makes them feel uncomfortable. But politicians in particular because they're public well, servants. But, so we're here to serve you. No, but also I, but, think, I think part of the problem is that a lot of, of what goes on in what like, uh, leftists will call capitalism is it's really like corporate welfare. Right. And, and what's, what's really corruption. So they're, what they're seeing is something that in, in certain instances is very unfair and unfair in a way that anyone would see it as unfair, not just from the, from the liberal perspective. Mm. It's that you see someone gaming the system in right. a, and, and getting like super rich out of it. But, mm. but what they're basically doing, they're turning a free market into like a monopoly or something. But it's corporate socialism. Right. Says. I mean when you, when, you, when, you, when you create a public teat, you're just getting mad – that these people are better at feeding from it than you. Like they're pushing you aside. Like in that sense, yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. I mean when the, when, the, when the government bails out investment banks or any banks or any corporation whatsoever, uh, that's basically welfare for corporations. I mean we've created a socialist system. It's just not benefiting necessarily. People claim the poor, but I would say $1.2 trillion every year in entitlement payments – constitutes a really big effort mm-hmm. to, to a really big commitment 
to 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 socialism and welfare is the fact that America's not doing it so well. Well, it's 350 million people, and they're yeah. you know, I mean, this hybrid system yeah. that has that has kind of grown up, where where leftists keep pushing and infiltrating different areas and building up and getting their their different bills passed. Yeah, it's kind of led to a Frankenstein monster, but America is more socialist than it is not. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I'm sure it, this will sound like gobbledygook to this guy. Of course. But well, but the thing is, when he says, it. when he takes issue with the idea that the U.S. is controlled by leftist socialists, it depends what you mean by leftist socialists. I mean, there's people in in in, in the American political establishment going back 30, 40 years. Like, you, if you go back. 30 or 40 or 50 years, you find the neocons who had a lot of power in the Bush, in the eight years under Bush, yeah, sure. who were the eminence greases behind the throne type of thing, waging war and all that kind of stuff. But you go back, look at their histories. They're all quite aging guys at that time, right. Rumsfeld and Pearl and Wolfowitz and all those kind of guys. Go back to the 1960s and all of them were Trotskyists. They all subscribed to yep. so hardcore socialist values. And, and now they're in a Republican administration under George Bush, and what they launch is a humanitarian war. Well, they export democracy. Or to export, export freedom world. and democracy. This was fundamentally liberal and, and leftist ideology that, that pushed, the, for example, the invasion of Iraq, and right. it was done under a conservative Republican government of George W. Bush by a bunch of former Trotskyists. So pick it out of that. What are you going to call the U.S. establishment? Left, right? Apparently it doesn't really matter. It's what they do Well, yeah, I mean, again, it's what the people do. Absolutely. There's the crux of the matter. It's because you, they can call <clears throat> themselves anything they want. And they do. And they do call themselves anything, anything they want. But what America has been doing is exporting the world revolution. Right. A different sort of brand. I mean, it, right. a different brand. It's not exactly like international socialism, i.e. communism or Soviet communism or Maoist communism. Yeah. It's its own think, sort of brand. I think his problem is, is, is that he doesn't – Stephen doesn't think that a leftist could or would launch a war of imperial conquest – and kill a bunch of people. But it's not imperial conquest. It's exporting the world revolution right. to them. It's ensuring well, human rights. They're different terms. It's you know humanitarian. I mean? Right, exactly. Right. You can couch but he, it any way you want. Right, but he doesn't believe that a leftist, uh, someone with a leftist ideology would do that. But in, in the, in, at the top of the pyramid, in the, in, the, in, the, in the political hierarchy, let's say at the top where all the power is kind of, let's say, wielded or the decisions are made, um, these people will, do, will call it whatever they want. They'll... they'll, they'll right. To, to to launch a uh, they will launch a humanitarian right. intervention and they'll in their hearts they'll feel yeah let's free the people of Iraq let's free let's give them freedom and democracy right. that's a leftist liberal um, right. um, uh, ideology but also they're saying we're going to get we might get pretty rich out of this we'll get some more power and stuff so he Stephen needs to separate out um, leftist values among the good-hearted average American person who wants who sees suffering in his, in his community and would like to do something about it. And, and you have to divorce that from any ideologies among the, the Hillary Clintons or the, anybody else in, in, in positions of power because, like we were just saying, they will switch, switch those, those terms and those, those ideologies left and right as, as, it, as it serves their purposes. And, and in a certain sense, leftists are kind of the only ones who do start wars uh, or imperialistic wars. Well, it does start yeah. from its desire to centrally plan and control everything 
and to have everything under their leadership. You know, no matter where right. they are, they, they, they tend to do this kind of stuff. And the well, problem yeah, well, is look- – Look at Height. Look at what we talked about in the last show. Uh, what do you call him? Steve, Jonathan uh, Height. Jonathan Height and his book about the moral taste buds and stuff and, and conservatives. So uh, conservatives are not left wing, right? Conservatives are right. They're traditional right. conservative right wing. And they have um, – they're the ones with the high disgust. Yeah. And that – and traditional conservatism is more of a – like historically it's it's more about isolationism yeah, and creating keeping, borders. Creating borders and keeping your group to yourself because of your high disgust right. uh, taste bud, basically. You don't really like the other so much. You're not, not really changing. inclined. Don't change. So that 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 uh, kind of nature of personality type would be very, would be the least likely to want to go off spreading saying, spreading yourself around the world and then you know interacting with other peoples and all that kind of stuff. You know, and and certainly they're not so inclined. They're less inclined than leftists towards humanitarian values and helping the poor other. If it's they'll help their own group, but not they won't feel so much empathy for some far off group. But that's leftism that does that, and that's what leads to imperialism. Right. That's what is basically like what I'm saying here. <laughs> it's like. That's right. why I was arguing kind of against the U.S. capitalism is the thing that did this. It's like, well, when you look at it, it's like, well, when you send in, you know, the special forces to to be a death squad so that you could privatize some sort of water source for a large corporation, it's like, that's not capitalism. Like, that has nothing to do with capitalism. That's that's what socialists would do to get centralized control over something. You know, mm. the fact the problem <clears throat> is that leftists, especially like the naive ones, think that leftism as like an ideology and we're talking about like a huge general 30,000 foot perspective here is about helping the people and they don't re- they don't realize that it's about using the people to gain power mm-hmm. it's about sectioning off society into a group of haves have nots and have a little want mores about managing them with propaganda to use them as an army to get yourself into power because you are envious and resentful of the people who are already in power. Back in the day, it was the king or whatever, then it's politicians, it's whatever. And today, mostly, it's, it's a lot of academics are kind of like, where are all these politicians running things? We should be the ones, people should be coming to us, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But that's just what it is. They're just tools. And in certain parts of the world, you know, a bunch of uh, indigenous people with like an IQ of 70 who are running around with loincloths, are, they, they're not useful. We're not going to be able to, 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 to turn these people into activists for us, so they'll just kill them. But when it comes to like Missouri, they'll 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 do the propaganda and turn them into activists and so on and so mm. forth. So I mean, leftism and all this stuff is about control and power, and it's only sometimes that it's useful to use the working man or the poor or whatever as some sort of mass that you can prod into action right. to cause chaos or to do something. Mm-hmm. But these people kind of see themselves as arch overlords who are so smart that they're playing this chess game with societies and mm-hmm. engineering them. But at the end of the day, the people who always suffer, even under communism, are basically the poor people. We said at the beginning of the show that in general today there's no racism. What about the um, vitriol against Russia? Yeah, I mean, some people have said that Clapper said something racist. He said that it was intrinsic to the Russian. Yeah, he said it's in their genetic makeup. It was in their genetic makeup. I don't um, know. Well, but I think that um, still there's not the – I don't know if I'd call it racism on a like a mass scale as, as the leftists seem to talk about it these days. 
it's like you can have a, a racist statement by a guy like Clapper. <laughs> but um, but again, if you have just an, an average American who meets a Russian in the street, like will they have a, a natural revulsion to that Russian because they're Russian? Some might. I think they do in Europe. Yeah. yeah. They go Russia. Oh, there's an instinctive, almost instinctive at this point, um, caution. They're trying to create it, certainly, and it's very interesting to see whether or not they can actually create that in the average person in the street, create that animosity and that, that yeah. racist feeling or uh, towards towards another uh, people from another country simply uh, by by a you know political BS and and the media propagating it. You know, I don't. But when it comes down to it, I don't think that. I think I tend. Conversely, I have very little faith in the average person, but at, the, at, at other times or in other ways, I have more faith in them in the sense of I have more faith in them in the basic human decency of the average person. Um, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't trust them necessarily when, they're, when their minds are being addled by all sorts of like, you know, you know by, uh, by propaganda, um, and especially when it's, when it's personal to them or when, they, when the people who, certain types of people who, who take it on board and uh, they're, they're very easily manipulated. But then when it comes down to just one person meeting another person, you see uh, uh, just more uh, a more basic kind of decency, just person to person com still comes into play. You know, it's very hard to remove that in people because um, I think they're you know they're wired. People are wired to be cooperative and you know uh, not be, not be instinctively like I hate you just because I don't know you. That's kind of I don't think that's normal for for the average person. You know, um, biology is interesting in this. Um I don't think it's a matter of being hardwired or not. I think everyone has both <coughs> systems. Mm. They can both potentially be used. In the run-up to the First World War, there was a decade-long campaign to get the average English person mm. to fear, really feel that two minutes hate towards anything German. And it was right. extremely successful. It was so successful that by the end of the war, the guy who basically organized it, Alfred Milner, who was ironically second-generation German, mm -hmm. um, he, there are minutes from his meetings, <laughs> the ones that survived, most of his archives were torched, where he says, it's gone too far. We need to get the press to rein in because we have other plans now. We need to basically, he didn't use this term, but we need to de- dehumanize all the work we've done to date to get people back on an even keel with Germany mm -hmm. because we want to we, we're going on a different tack with Germany now um, and it struck me that people have both capabilities now whether they tend in one direction or not left themselves depends on their specific situation in group out group maybe their immediate neighbors in the town over everything is fine with them no problem but if there's a serious issue with the state over or with the country over, it's going to be activated, mm -hmm. understandably. But if things are generally at an equilibrium, then that biological function is not used. or It's still there, though. Yeah. You know? mm. Well, and Haidt talks about that. And, well, I think what it comes down to is, like, racism probably isn't the best word for it. It's more of a, a base tribalism. And right. what does he call it? Like the hive switch mm -hmm. in the book? So basically, like, because, I mean, if you look at Russians, if you're just looking at them, I mean, a lot of Russians, most Russians are white. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, and like the same thing with Germans. I mean, there are tons of 
German immigrants that were, you know, in, in America, for instance, um, and indistinguishable to like after generations of, um, you know, integration. So it's not something like intrinsic to, to Germans, but it, it, we humans do create these groups and we call them nations. And it's when you have a tribe like that, <coughs> a, like a, an extensive tribe, then you just have to flip that switch and you can turn people against, you can turn the majority of people against, you know, that those other people from that other country. Right. Um, so I think that's what we're seeing. It's basically a, a, a manipulation and, a, and an exploitation of that tribalism, which is in everybody to some mm -hmm. extent. Mm -hmm. Something that's really dominant in this ideology or set of overlapping ideologies, and even if they don't articulate it explicitly, it's really apparent between the lines. It's dripping with contempt. They seem to have a real revulsion to, to patriotism slash nationalism, love of one's country. Mm. Um, I, it's probably it's probably been drilled into them with lots of training. I wouldn't dare to say it's instinctive per se, but you can see it in the in the rhetoric at the moment. So it, it's an apparently crazy categorization, but it makes sense in a way. So you get these analyses, say, in foreign policy or some hotshot magazine where, oh, yes, we're looking at a pattern here. The rise of Trump in the U.S., Xi, Xi Jinping in China now wants power forever, dictator. Putin, of course, has been in power for a quarter of a century, dictator. And there's these kinds of people coming up in Europe, wannabe dictators. That's how they see it. They see it as all one amorphous thing. Now, obviously, that's a crazy thing to do because look at the differences culturally between the U.S. or politically between the U.S. and China, for example, never mind Russia. Um, the, the, again, I think, oh, I'm not sure what I'm saying. I think that they're kind of right that they're onto something, but they can't quite articulate what it is. They just know that it's bad. Patriotism, love of country. Mm. And, of course, they bring in, they introduce Godwin's Law quickly. Oh, because of what the Nazis did. You don't want to love your country because that's evil. They're all open borders. Well, there can be no patriotism, like, in, in, in a country that has open borders, you know, uh, and, and any people from other countries can come in. I mean, love of country is means I love this piece of land, you know, if, uh, and, 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 the, and its history and, and, you know, what is a piece of land? It's, it's where we came from. So you start look, patriotism means you start looking into the history and you see the founding fathers and what it was founded on. You look into the constitution, blah, blah, and then that, that, that would tend to make you argue... Not, well, not be inclined to open the borders and accept in a bunch of people who who don't share the same values as us. Basically, I, you know? I think that something that they don't you know connect with it, but it's there. It's it's, it's there in the background. It's the same thing as the def, the definition they have for racism. So their issue isn't that people categorize and discriminate, not in the negative sense of that word. Just simply, oh, you're this, you're that, they're that. Okay, is is that they're reading into it a subconscious threat that the person who's being racist, in quotes, is indirectly saying, I'm superior to those other people. And then it will be the same for country. Love of country is dangerous, they say, because you're inherently saying mine is the best. Well, also... But, what, because of Hitler? Because Hitler? No, well, also, patriotism is dangerous because, like, identity politics and, and a lot of leftism is founded on the idea that your enemy is internal 
like and a big segment of your of your population. So like in the U.S., the 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 enemy is the the white cisgendered male, and if you are first and foremost an American and a patriotic American, that difference disappears. And that's like and so the way well this gets into one of the reasons that feminism has been so successful in what it does is that it has it has created divisions within the society like and at the most fundamental level in the family between men and women and and between um you know fathers and their children mm-hmm. it's like when you when you when you fracture society at such a basic level and even like a, a like a, a level or two above that at the level of minority groups or you know or sexuality or whatever then any kind of unity over over and above that is dangerous mm. And so that ties into multiculturalism too, because if you have a, a unified um, identity, you know, in a in a particular nation, then automatically that would that would um, act as a um, as a barrier against you know multiculturalism, for instance. But so in order to have multiculturalism, you can't have patriotism. Right. The two won't go together. Right. Well, there's this this other aspect, which is at <clears throat> at a certain point. During the the rise of communism, it was kind of understood that it had failed because the workers had not united and had not rebelled and that English workers were willing to fight for England and French workers were willing to fight for France. And this was what spawned the creation of of fascism as a a, a modification of of basically from international socialism to national socialism, right? And that started the left-right split, actually. I mean, when I talk, when people say left and right, they really mean like two sides of the same coin. It's, it's all leftism. Mm. It's, all, it's, all, it's all those dirty socialists. But that kind of thing that came out of that was this kind of resentment against the patriotism, the, the, what you could identify as this patriotism inside of these people that even though they were the oppressed identity, they were the oppressed workers – they still didn't unite with the workers all over the world and revolt. And so like people like I think Anto- Antonio Gramsci and the postmodernist Adorno and Marcuse and all these people, the neo-Marxists who came with the Frankfurt School who had come out of this, they were part of the ones who started this whole anti-patriotism bench, you know, this against this sort of this type of person because they suddenly realized that they were defective workers, that there was something defective about them. how dare they fail me in a certain sort of, sort of sense. So I think a lot of that anti-patriotism comes from that as well. It's just this, you know, in, in a certain sense, it's kind of like an academic, it is, it's a trace of an academic resent against these sort of uh, the, the, the low common worker who we who we who wasn't even smart enough to know how much better than him we were and didn't come and participate in our revolution and so now we have to talk about him as dismissively and that, that's how that's the the impression that i get when most of them talk about about patriotism that there's no real sort of like grand arch scheme around it it's more like just yeah. a, a strain of of that well, kind of like condescension as yeah. go. Well, I, th- I think again Patriots. we're we're looking at um, like something that's very complex that has several different like contributing factors to right. it. And if we want to go right. like deepest, that would get into height again, and the you know the liberal moral taste buds and how right. you know they don't they don't seem to have that taste bud for you know the authority and the hierarchical hierarchical structure that creates 
like a single society. Right. And so they'll they naturally want they're they're naturally more open. They're more open to other cultures. They want all the borders to be broken down, and so they'll they'll look at that that um, that identity that common identity as um, a limit, and as you know as a, an un, an unnecessary border. But they won't see any of the the positive aspects of having a you know a, a wider identity. Right. I mean, I think that a lot of that kind of stuff is in, influenced by this Jungian kind of archetype um, stuff like you see with Jordan Peterson. And I feel like it's kind of like throwing the leftist a little bit of a bone to say that you're kind of good. You could be kind of good, but we need each other, this complementarianism with the openness versus conscientiousness and stuff like that, which is, to me, it's, it's all like, it's like pandering to them. It's like trying to be like, okay, you can come back. You can come back. Well, we can be a little bit open. Well, it's not necessarily pandering. It sounds, I don't think it's pandering to the left. It's more, it's more like basically saying that there are those different types of people in society and that they, they do potentially are. They have uh, different roles. Well, they can't have, they can't have benefits of society if, if neither one is allowed to, uh, you know, run away with itself, basically, or, or particularly leftism, leftists aren't allowed to run away with the situation and, um, and, oh. uh, I had, and wreck the place, you know. I had a, a very un-PC thought as I was as I was reading Height's book, mm-hmm. is that the the leftists should only ever be an opposition party, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know never actually get into actual power, but they should have some degree of of influence, like, but but not to the point where they actually have the final say in any in anything. And and in our current time, this is why this is so important. In, our, in this time, they're having their way on everything. It, I could not believe last week's news. Um, it emerged that um, the Irish government had been secretly mandating that all press media organizations in the country not talk about a secret plan to bring in a million migrants from abroad. That would be like 20% of the current population by 2040. They're not allowed to talk about it. It's happening. It's, it's called a plan. It's Ireland 2040 or something. And it's like, what the hell? You know, it's, obviously that's shocking in itself that there's a scheme and that is in process. But they have the added twist of no one's allowed to talk about it. And you can see, I can see how in this climate that would be upheld. Not so much by the law because anyone can break the law and then set a precedent and, oh, okay, well, it's too late now. We don't want to look bad and so on. But most of it's upheld by people policing themselves. Right, prior restraint, which is the, which is the main problem of what's going on, right? Because there's several different types if, of if you If you object to it in any way, shape, or form, if you even say, you know, I think we might need to, if you raise your hand and suggest we talk about it, right. it's a racist. Right, right. But that's the thing. The thing is, is like people were, were kind of like all about free speech and they were against censorship. And they didn't realize the censorship is a complex matter. There's all different kinds. There's the one where, like, the law says you can't say cocksucker on the the radio, like that with Lenny Bruce. Beep. Yeah, exactly. That is one kind of censorship. The other kind of censorship is called prior restraint, which is where it's not actually against the law, but because there might be consequences to it, you decide to self-censor. You decide to censor yourself and not say it. And by implementing this with a social exclusion pro- uh, program, where basically like you'll get fired, you'll get uh, deplatformed, you'll get harassed, you'll get uh, doxxed, you'll get horribly treated, then you will self-censor. 
And that's the new kind of censorship. I like to call it like the backdoor censorship. So it's not really the government that's doing any of these things. It's actually like this cadre of people who have agreed tacitly to ostracize anyone who deviates from the ideological norm. And then yeah. that then causes the self-censorship or the prior restraint. Let's, we're going to take a call here. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Hey, how y'all doing? Oh, Jesus. That's good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, you guys can hear me okay? Yeah. I can hear you like loud as yeah, that's oh okay. my God. We got a volume. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I just have a question, um, and I'm being serious about this. Um, I don't um, – what's wrong with uh, people embracing – you know, the, the notion of uh, racism, that believing that, for example, if you're white and you look at Africa and you look at Haiti and you look at all these different countries um, and you look at IQ scores. Right. What's what's wrong with a white person coming to the conclusion that um, people of African or black skin, um, you know, What's wrong with them thinking that they're inferior as a whole? Well, I don't think it goes. I don't think it goes <laughs> together. I mean, it's simply like it, it's saying what well, you do the studies, you know, and people have done the studies. That's where you're getting your statistics from. That maybe that IQ studies. I mean, for what for what to the extent that they actually mean anything or can be applied or useful, they look at IQs between blacks and whites and Jews and stuff, and they say Jews are highest, then come whites, then come blacks people, then come you know Hispanics or something. And it's like, it's. I don't see a problem with doing that. If 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 people want to go around and there's IQ tests that can be done, if if someone sees a need or a usefulness to do that, but it's it's the idea then that simply because someone has lower IQ than than another group, that group are worse or inferior. I mean, what does inferior even mean? Okay, they have a lower IQ. They have an inferior IQ. Does that mean they're inferior human beings? Uh, I don't think so. Well. I have I have some some points on this one if I can do it right so I mean the the first thing that I that I would say is like who does this like who runs around reading reports on IQ just so that they can oh I'm superior it's like it's this hypothetical person who's out in the ether somewhere who's having naughty thoughts I mean who gives a flying flip I mean such a person I I've, I've never encountered one I'm not one like I've read uh, a Charles Murray's uh, uh, work. Like reading about the averages of IQs, it's like yeah, but it's an average. Mm. Like it's 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 go barely, and find that average person, uh, right? Like go and find that average. Average people don't exist. I mean, that's a statistical uh, fantasy. You know, I've, I've met plenty of black people. They weren't stupid. I mean, it's like, and that that's one component of it. This idea that the average, it's the same thing with the wage gap. Is like women earn on average. It's like on average means nothing. Do you know nothing about statistics? You take a large sample of data, add it all together and divide it, and then you get an average. It's like, Jesus Christ, nobody cares about the average. What's the median? What's the deviation? There's all these other multivariate analyses that you can do to some topic like that. IQ is just one as a univariate analysis. It's like, that's not really all that interesting. Who in the world is spending all their time caring so much about this? That's one thing. The second thing is, is part of this is the problem of the worship of the intellect. Like it, this idea that somehow having a high IQ makes you a better person. It's like, I know plenty of high IQ leftist academics. Really, I would rather have a dumb mixed race child than a pure white leftist academic. Like seriously, that would be like a horror story for me, 
right? So there's this whole worship of the intellect as if IQ is some sort of number that is magical and it means you'll be fantastic. It's like, have you met some of these people with really high IQs? They are like socially inept, weird often crazy areas it's like generally if you have an average iq 100 to 120 you are going to be fine for most social tasks social problems you're going to be able to get along fine you're going to be able to have a job this whole argument is ridiculous it's like who cares what the average iq of african-american or white or korean or jews are and and who sits there and goes around and says well well the average of my race is like the average of your race means nothing your iq might mean something whether or not you have a good iq but the fact that somebody else in your race has one is freaking irrelevant what do you think steve okay well well um and and my point was uh, in all of this and i've um i recognized um one thing that i see as a problem is this the the label at this point, the label racist. It's like you are a uh, John. John is a racist. It's almost like John has AIDS. Right. You know right. what I and my larger point is that we're enculturated into larger societies that categorize things in certain ways. Whites, black, like a, a United States, you know, we have a particular, um, you know, fairly short history of all of these groups of different people coming here and we have a national mythos of the immigrant coming here working hard and and this is still playing out today and um so what and I'm not disagreeing with the the gist of what your all's major point is about the absurdity of the SJWs um the democratic party is full of it um the media is full of it they um you know, you just keep on, you accuse people, oh, I caught you being racist. Oh, then now you're going to lose your career and all of that. And, um, and it's just, it's just so much BS and people are disgusted with it. But I also recognize, I deal with a lot of people that are very upper income and Republican and white. And, um, many, many times I have heard views expressed that are generalizations about different groups that fit historical stereotypes that people have been struggling to dispel and, and challenge for generations. So this is not an, a, a simple subject. No. And um, I think also when it comes to um, the situation with, like, say, what they call feminism, um, for example, there's there's a lot of absurdities in that, especially with now with the transgender and and then calling me uh, I uh, I'm a cisgender white male, so therefore I'm bestowed all of this privilege, this unearned advantage that I should feel guilty about having. And I think that right now a lot of the frustration that I hear from you guys, from a lot of people, there's a reaction against this um this left progressive um anti-racism that it's gone too far to the point of being absurd and and a lot of it is but i would just caution i would just caution this um so you're saying we're just don't throw don't don't throw don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. like for example communism Communism developed as a reaction to feudalism 
and you know incredible uh, oppression by oligarchs and by the upper classes of the working class and then it 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 developed into the Soviet Union where you've got this manichian black and white the capitalists are for freedom and everybody and then the the communists it becomes caricatured in ways that are kind of self-service um and and some a lot of the nuances get lost in these discussions like i would say about capitalism um you know it's kind of like communism to a lot of people that are proponents of it um they're they're always claiming that capitalism true capitalism doesn't exist mm. just like people that were you could call apologists for the soviet union you know, yeah. you could say, oh, oh, well, true communism never once they destroyed the workers councils, you know, that was the end of true communism. You just had totalitarian hier hierarchy that ruled in, in like uh, China today is an example of that where you have billionaires and they still call themselves communists. So right. I would just you know, caution you know, that. But you know what? Oh, go ahead. Stephen, one of the things is that like Jordan Peterson talks about this about uh, something called the Pareto distribution, where it's completely natural, and not just in human society, but in animal society, in the natural world with trees, in, in the cosmos, in the st with stars and stuff. That basically um, there are some people who tend to be do more in any any society, or some beings or whatever tend to do more or are more able. And they he used the example of like in, in any organization, a corporation or in a company or something, 20% uh, of the people will do 80% of the work. So uh, once a person does more, they tend to get be given more to do or they do more themselves and they accrue m m more more things to themselves. You know, And that happens. And it's not just about human society. It's, it's like nature. It's a fundamental aspect of nature. And for someone to come along and try and say that's wrong is like how... Like deluded or presumptuous, you think can you be to think? I mean, you don't understand it uh, uh, properly if you think you can just order society on a more egalitarian, um, in a more egalitarian way when when all of nature is pushing against that for some for some well, reason, you know. I mean, it's it, it all comes down to the Bible, man. To those who have much, more will be given. To those who have little, even that shall be taken away. That's just the way of the world. You it's know? not just the way of the world. It's the way of the cosmos and nature itself, kind of thing. And yeah, and well, you do it in you your can... daily life, and you do it in your daily life, right? Like in your daily, like let's 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 do a little thought experiment here, right? Uh, you have a house, right? No, you don't have a house. You don't live anywhere. No. Oh, okay. well, no, I, I, I well, rent, the, I rent, I don't right. own, you, you I rent. don't own. <laughs> you rent. So, so let's say, for instance, that uh, you find out that there's a lot of bugs in your apartment, and let's just imagine for a moment that you're going to have to take care of it because your landlord won't, all right? And so you decide that you're going to consider who's going to come and fumigate your apartment. Are you going to hire the person who has a lot of experience fumigating apartments and who has all the tools and everything ready at, at his disposal, are you going to hire some guy named Chuck who says maybe he might be able to get the stuff together if you give him a few weeks? Which guy are you going to hire? Well, obviously we know which one. Yeah. The well, one who has much or the one who has little? Like you in your daily uh, life practice the Pareto principle because you want uh, to go to experts. You want to go to the guy. If you have a heart problem, you want to go to the guy who's done 50,000 heart surgeries and has a whole lot of experience. He has much more will be given to him by you. You will give him your, his, you will give him your money 
for your heart surgery as opposed to the guy who's fresh out of school and has never done it before. You're going to be like, whoa, hold on a second. This is your first heart surgery? I don't think so. Like, it's it's a difficult problem to solve in society, but it's something that well, we Well, we have a situation in this country that if you get cancer or if you need a heart, heart surgery and you don't have insurance, um, a lot of times just people just simply die. Okay. Right. Sure. So um, this this apologetics for um, you know, you can use that kind of logic to apologize. Yeah, apologetics. That kind of logic taken to its extreme, where everybody who's super rich, they deserve every penny they have, and anybody who's a worker who complains, oh, you're just a you're just a commie loving um, ne'er do well that wants to take from the earners. I see. I see some of that ideology coming through in what y'all are saying here. But well, now, Steve, um, Stephen, but Stephen, yes. Stephen, I completely agree with that. One. But Stephen, you would like <laughs> just said you would perfectly. like Stephen, you would like to think that um, that the, in the job that you do, with the effort and time and and uh, you know money and etc. that you've put into it to, to be good at your job, you would like to think that someone would a client would would choose you. Over someone who just uh, some kind of uh, grifter who just came in on the scene and you, you know you really you knew he wasn't going to do a very good job and that because of uh, because of uh, an ideology among your clients of like you know equality that they would pick someone else who had just come on the scene and who you know doesn't know what he's doing but they'll pick him over you consciously and he'll do a crappier job and you're meant to be happy about that because of equality. Well, I mean, I, well, I don't think it's—I don't think it has to do with equality when it comes to market decisions that people make. It comes down to people making judgments to get the most value and quality for the money that they expend. And if right. somebody's going to, like, for example, um, I pay my helper what I as much as I can. Um, you have and, a helper. This is the person in my work, my helper in my work, yes. Right. Um, and I pay him as much as I can. Now, other people pay similar people in similar position half as much as I do. Mm. I, could, I could find somebody else to do the work for half as much as, as he does, but um, the quality would be 25%. And the amount of work done would be twenty five percent, right? You know, so, so, as compared so, so, to what, right? So you're not. But I, I'm not. I'm not. Person. I'm not arguing. Like, I'm not arguing. I'm not. You hire look, I'm this not guy because he's good. You hire this guy because he's good. He does his job well. Like you're, you're an ox is worth his hire is basically what you're saying. It's not because you're some grand, wonderful person that you're paying this guy more than other people. It's because he's actually better than other people. I, 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 actually, part of my no, actually, part of my calculation and how I pay him. Is if I was in this guy's position, given his skills, in this guy's position as being a family man, having to support right. a family, if I was in his position, what would I think is fair? Right. And um, if I if I had a, a mentality like a lot of people that are business rah rah capitalist types in business, I would pay him as little as I can get away with, and that's a huge part of the mentality among people that are the owning class and the employer class. And this is why a lot of people will work 60 hours a week. They're not making enough money to even see a doctor if they need to see a doctor. And that's bullshit. And, um, you know, propounding this right-wing pro-capitalist ideology and then labeling leftist 
um, as being bad for, and you're just a narrative where that, that one, no, the only, the only way we've ever gotten ahead as working people is yeah. when we organize, when we organize ideologically and in movements to put to... pressure on the owning class so we can have a better share. You're going to have more to come up you guys, and, and the more we terms, get this though. bull crap, and the more we get this bull crap propaganda where, where you don't, where, where uh, from MSNBC to Fox News to radio, this bullcrap propaganda that labels all leftists bad, unions are bad. That's why that's why people are getting less for their efforts today, and they're working longer hours for less, and they can't even ever own a house. They can't see a doctor when they need to. If they get cancer, they might die. That's the reality that we, the working class in the United States, are living in. And I'm 54 years old. I've been working since I was um, 16 years old. And I've watched everything get worse as the unions have lost strength and then the preponderance of right-wing propaganda to convince other workers. Right-wing propaganda yeah, but this is everywhere. Is, it's but, dominant in our culture. I mean, like, it really has. Well, and it's it's it's... It's, it's this corrupting uh, propaganda from from Fox News and from you know you know these 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 sort of political pundits, the Bill O'Reillys, who are going around and they have they have dominated the discourse. It, it, and absolutely, I completely agree with you. Well, and I'm I'm just one only thing I take exception of what you what you say is that um, when you use examples, for example, of of course. Um, in these these countries, there's a lot of injustice done to people who were formerly of the uh, ruling classes uh, when they're overthrown by these leftist Stalinists. OK, a lot of injustice. But let's also not forget that places like Guatemala and Honduras and Colombia today, if you're a leftist and you are, are advocating and trying to organize unions, or if you're a journalist and you're a leftist, you're an enemy of the oligarchy and you are shot and killed. And that is today. And is it any coincidence that these these countries, people don't they never they they rarely ever improve their education system. They don't they don't get they don't get results that have a better distribution of wealth for the citizens. And there's a small oligarchy right, at the top. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there, man. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, you you've drunk the Kool Aid, you've read the 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 interpretation. I've drunk of the Kool Aid. All of these, all of these, all, all of this history. I mean, there's. I don't know what to say to you, man. I mean, you're just, I didn't drink just any Kool Aid. I've been to listen. Let, I didn't drink just, any Kool Aid. I've been to Guatemala. I've spent extensive yeah, time yeah, in yeah. Honduras and Guatemala. Yeah. I've been I've been I'm friends yeah. with families whose yeah. people have been murdered by the oligarchy yeah, 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 because yeah. they the are leftists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the anecdotes. Great. OK. No, you know, it's just common sense. Like, I have, I have real not, life experience. Like I have like I have no control over Guatemala. I'm not in Guatemala. Right. I don't know what's going on there. And to be quite honest, like we're not talking about Guatemala. Like, what does that have to do with anything, man? You're just going on this gigantic. You were no, you were talking litany. earlier. You are basically going I, through the religious litany of the left that goes around oh, all these, all these oppressed people over here and all these oppressed people over there. But the truth of the matter is, is right now there's a little boy and and on the streets of Bombay who's basically uh, eating garbage 
and that sucks and the world is like that and you are as far away from him as you are right now from Warren Buffett. Like his life and his experience, there is suffering all over the world. There is a story that will break everyone's heart. What the are we supposed to do about it? Do we accept it? Because, that? Do we because accept your that? narrative, your narrative has dominated the discourse. The leftist narrative has dominated the academic, political, and think tank uh, narrative in the West at least since what? the nineteen thirties. The think tanks right? are controlled by ca- <laughs> The think tanks are controlled by the oligarchy. No, if they you go to universities, controlled by you guys. You go to universities, and the discourse is neoliberal and pro-imperialist. Neoliberal. Yeah, that's there a are thing that you guys have created. This new thing that doesn't exist. This new thing that doesn't exist. There's no such thing the as think neoliberal. Tanks, the think tanks. The neo. The think hang tanks, on a second. <laughs> think tanks are controlled by the oligarchy in the United States. But what's what the you're oligarchy? saying what's, is absurd. But what's the oligarchy? What's Hang on a second. Hang on. What we're, what we're saying here, Stephen, is that uh, – we, and we mentioned earlier on the show – is that um, – I mean look at the Iraq war. It was done on humanitarian freedom and democracy, very much leftist value grounds. So people are using okay. – People are using uh, – politicians being psychos are using any idea, any political ideology they want that they think will get get them what they want, which is basically kind of imperialism and domination and, and, and you know invading other countries and all that kind well, of that's stuff. Not you know, so leftist, that's, no, that's not leftist though. Look at the British Empire. They were – it was the white man's burden to yeah, free exactly. these people and to expo- help them exploit their resources because they were too dumb – to learn how to make factories and do engage in gr- huge mining and dam projects. Mm, okay, so it's always been used from this since the time of Rome um, by the oligarchies, by the ruling classes that support imperialism. Right. It's so always it's neither, been used as an excuse for so that. Neither, always. So it's, so it's neither left nor right. Then you're just talking about a bunch of psychos. Well, generally, the right are the ones that support the ruling order and the oligarchy. The left are the ones that generally want a better distribution of wealth. They want more workers' rights and protections. And that's, these, are, they, these are just generalizations, if we're going to use terminology correctly. But, but by saying that the think tanks are controlled by the left and socialists and all that, it's taking language. I, I, think, I think you need to... You need to create new terms because what you're talking about they're very different there's different types and different flavors of leftism you know what i mean and and, and you're you're tending to group your group all leftists together when i don't think that's accurate you know there are people who are more kind of sane in their in their leftist orientations you know and and then there are other people who are who are radical nut jobs and they're just in it for the power and there are those people look at hillary clinton hillary clinton is uber leftism right she's uber she's no well nominally she is Look, all the, hang on a minute. She is as far. We we'll have to talk about. We we'll have to speak in, in in you know. We have to define what we're talking about here because all of the women, all of the pink-haired women, radical leftists, the ones screaming at the sky, are all the the Hillary Clinton supporters. They're the anti-Trumpers. They're the ones who love Hillary Clinton and love the Democratic Party under Hillary Clinton and wanted her. Uh, to, to be present. And these are the radical leftists who want a communist utopia. Like, I mean, they're all in there. They're the ones screaming for Hillary Clinton. And, and, but they fail to recognize the fact that Hillary Clinton is the one who invaded Libya and bombed the crap out of Libya and destroyed the country. Hillary Clinton so supported NAFTA. Hillary Clinton supported NAFTA. She supported bailing out the banks. 
She's a supporter of right. corporate oligarchy in her historical record. Now, on cultural Democrat. issues. So who's, yes, who's okay, left? I understand that. But, but Stephen, who's left? Who's left? And if you've got right, you've got you've got Democrats doing that, and you've got Republicans doing their thing. So what are you? Okay, so the terms You're neither, of um, so what the, are you? I mean, well, who well, represents you? Of, what, what's considered the left in this country over decades, especially since they, they um, unions have lost power, the discourse shifts to the right. So all the policies become more right wing. So what is considered left today, um, Richard Nixon was more on the left than Obama was because everything shifts to the right as the oligarchy gets more control of the propaganda. Workers are, are, are not in a position to organize effectively and struggle. That's why workers are getting poorer and the oligarchy is getting richer and our problems are not getting solved because we don't have, we don't have a workers' party in this country, unlike countries in right. Europe where so they have real the, worker parties. Nationalist, socialist, workers' party, right? That's what we need. What? I mean, that's that's what fascism. Yeah, exactly. We need the Workers' Party, and then you're like, "Oh yeah, but isn't that exactly what Hitler workers, did?" Workers, no parties that are tied to workers are prevalent <laughs> in Europe. Are prevalent in Europe, and they have more power, more say within their political system. I know these I know. are traditional. These are traditional left parties. Now, what we have in the United States with the SJWs <laughs> and the cultural issues, and is in this constant battle about race. This is a way, this is a form of politics that excludes us coming together in right. dealing with things right. economically, right. and that's its Workers major it's function. It's distracting from the real issues, exactly, and that's the whole point, to set people against each other, and that's what's happening in the U.S., and it's all gone. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it's all over, but they're crying at this point, you know what I mean? I mean, you just said, like, for the values that you espouse, there is no party uh, or no politicians who represent what, what you espouse. You know, so, so I mean, there is a left party, the Democratic Party, and, and that's what most leftist people are putting their faith in. I'm, from what you're saying, you don't put well, your faith in those people anymore because you realize that they're all a bunch of corrupt uh, kind of politicians who are, who are basically in it for themselves. A lot of them are, are psychos, and, and that's the end of the story, and there's nothing we can do about it because people have been and so we, divided. And, look, and, and, I'll, and I'll make this point, too, and this, this is we are in a very strange place as far as the political terminology of left and right, especially in this country right now, when you have Mother Jones and you have the writers from Mother Jones, who was a, a woman who's a historical labor organizer, when you have them attacking people that oppose um, U.S. intervention in Syria and support Syria, when you have them attacking people like me on that ground, these are imperialists that still call themselves progressive, mm. but they're really imperialists in their scum. We have democracy now, which promotes the white helmets. We are, we, the, the historical left, and I mean people that are working class that want a better distribution of wealth. We don't believe most of us. Distribution there are hardcore. Mar distribution well, through, look, how? who gets to decide who gets what? It's through struggle. It's through historical struggle and pressure. Struggle, when yeah. the workers are not united, when the workers are not united, they're going to get screwed. Okay, when there when there's death squads killing union leaders in Colombia, yes, the workers are going to get screwed. 
So for, for having a more organized and coherent working class movement in politics is better for the majority of people because the majority of people are working class. So workers nice. of the world unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. Thank you for that. Oh, so you're calling me a communist with that. That's really smarmy. No, that's, yeah, that's really smarmy. That's, no, no. I'm not, I'm not a communist. No, I'm not a I'm, communist. I'm, I don't believe in abolishing classes and having a working class right. be the total I politics. I don't believe that at all. I but I, what I do believe is that only through struggle and solidarity have workers ever made any gains. And without those historical socialists that were leading the now? way in, yeah, in Europe, in the United States, if without them, we wouldn't have made the gains that we made in the past. And it's no coincidence that now that union power is at record lows and we have ubiquitous propaganda, um, it's no coincidence that so many workers don't have health insurance. They're busting their ass and they can't even, even dream of owning anything. Okay? Right. Yeah. I take your so point. This is why... We're going, okay, well, thank we're you. you. We've got somebody else waiting. We've got somebody else waiting, okay? All right, thank, thanks for Thank you all. I appreciate hey, it. Bye-bye. Bye. We have, uh, who have we got in the line here? Mystery caller. Hey, this is Rao. Do you hear Hello, me? Hello, Rao. We can call you Rao, okay. Yeah. Sorry, it's already late, I think. No problem. <clears throat> what have you got to say? Uh, it's an interesting identity discussion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> interesting, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, let, let me, uh, actually, I don't know much about left and right until I read uh, this uh, Righteous Mind book, so I won't much, uh, I don't have much comments on that side. But uh, uh, since I was raised in India, where you see the identity all over the place, these identities are there for thousands of years. Uh, when I started, I have seen identities in my own caste, my own relatives, people all the time fighting. When I moved to my middle school, I've seen people fighting among our higher castes. And when I moved to my college, I've seen people fighting across lower castes and higher castes. I have seen the same pattern. When I came to the United States, I see people fighting across the nations. So it's in people's... Uh, innate nature for them, you can call tribalism. They always find one reason or other to maximum benefit. You can say people are fickle, selfish. There are always people who take advantage of that situation. <coughs> and I think the main thing currently you have this left, right is going, I think the world, because of this whole technology, the whole instant communication, the old identities are more or less getting melted down. And you have a lot of fight going with this new identities, change of definitions, and all that type of stuff. I, I think uh, you guys talked about the same thing. I just thought I will mention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like uh, you call polarization, right? Right. Like, well, I mean, India's India is a very interesting place. I mean, especially with what's going on now, you know, with the with the with the divorce laws and the the dowry laws and and things like that. I mean, it's an interesting situation. Yeah, it's it's rough because, for example, when I was looking for get married, I thought, okay, I will only marry somebody in my own caste. The reason is, if I marry some other person, my mother is not going to like, and my mother and my spouse never get along. Uh, 
So for me, it's a logical choice. Okay, I will marry within that so that at least this whole, uh, uh, there is a caste. The caste comes with certain behaviors mm -hmm. like vegetarianism, untouchability. And there is quite a lot of uh, a serious, uh, you can say, uh, behavioral or uh, preferences comes in. So naturally, that will create a lot of this thing. So it, it, I, I agree with you. It's too complicated in India. You have 24 official languages, hundreds of uh, uh, language, language or whatever you call it, styles, dialects. And, dialects, and within castes, and you can vegetarian, non-vegetarian, or that you have Hindus and Muslims. It's widely different. But the point I am trying to say is we have seen, we have always elections. You always, a guy comes with the identity to vote it. At the end of the day, after decades, nothing has changed. Everybody is the same politician. Can I ask you something, Rao? Right. If you had the choice mm -hmm. to live again in India, would you do it? Again, when you say the choice, uh, there are boundary parameters. Okay, for example, yeah, naturally, naturally, naturally. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, do you choose to live in America, or does somebody force you to? I mean, does some situation force you to live there? Oh, I just followed the again. Uh, the if you want one answer, when I moved to the United States, uh, one thing that made me the decision is. Uh, Brain drain is better than brain in drain. Right. So, I mean, would you rather live in America or would you rather live in India? I mean, it seems like you'd probably do both. Could you think you could get a job in India and, and live there? It all depends. Uh, it's, it all depends. Uh, to, it all depends. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I have kids and all that stuff. So. Right. And, and they're kind of used to living in America. Yeah. It all depends, right? Do you but think the that point they like was... it? Do you think that they like living in India? Oh, they will hate it. They hate it. They hate it. Why would they hate it? Uh, it's a different, right? Here, mm -hmm. the, uh, you have the same stuff of. Uh, they're not exposed to this whole identity diversity mixing up. But the point I was trying. So you'd to say make, that the right? diversity is kind of a problem in Indian culture. Like, you feel that okay, the it all depends, right? For example, you have currently the technology. If you want something, you can go to Google it, and you can get it. But the olden times when the, uh, you don't have internet and all that stuff, how did you survive? It is all depends on within your own group. Mm -hmm. Even for you to people to talk to you, people look at it. Your own group is much more safer for you even to talk. Right. Uh, Rao, if, if, if I can ask you uh, about on the, on the topic of the show, racism, what, mm -hmm. uh, what's your experience of that, if any, in, uh, in the U.S.? Okay, let me tell you this one. Okay, but I'm an immigrant, so right? Of course, naturalized immigrant. When I first came here, I came in nine, late 90s. We just did our part, okay? People, you go to a bank, the moment they see the skin, you will see the subtle changes in the faces and all that. So we never really cared about it, okay? We are immigrants, do our part, see how it goes. But this whole left, uh, particularly when Bush came, okay, people said, okay, conservatives and all that type of stuff. They are war-mongering and all that stuff. Now nothing has changed when the Obama came. But nobody really cared about this 
left became too left, no uh, right became too right, and all that type of stuff. <coughs> For me, all these things became big uh, polarizing in last three four years. Maybe mm-hmm. Trump probably became uh, everybody's. <laughs> so, so, like, do you still have? Do you still uh, experience any kind of obvious racism? <clears throat> racism towards you from? From from anybody from anybody in the U.S. today. Now, let me tell, let me put it a little bit differently. For example, in 2004 and five, that is the time corporations were offshoring quite a lot of stuff to India. My way of looking at it is, I did thought, okay, if United States and Western nation is individualized, individualized societies, why do they sa- send their jobs to the uh, East, uh, Asian countries? That means, at the time, I didn't know that it is the big business that makes the decisions. Now, when big business makes the decision, the first thing they do is, naturally, the white people don't like it. They took us to a five-star hotel. They talked about diversity, inclusion, and blah, 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 all that stuff. Naturally, I didn't understand what they're talking. Why are even they doing it? Only after coming out uh, in a hotel lobby looking at uh, different type of skin colors, then I realized it. They want to do it. They want to bring in other people, make them acceptable. So before we come that here, the big, big, big business made a decision. They made it acceptable to the people. And now we are naturally, there will be a fight back. Okay, I'll give you one simple example how this thing. When I was small, I used to live in a small town. There used to be lot of thieves again these are all small nobody trusts police and all that stuff so in, we in used india. To, in india yeah it's a small village okay so i'm talking about this is in 80s early 80s mm-hmm. so there used to be a, a nepalese guys used to be there you know the people from nepalese guys they come here they they basically roam around in the street in the midnight tapping their stick on saying that uh, uh, I'm there so that the thief doesn't come in. And so he used to come and collect uh, some whatever the minimum amount. Five years down the line, suddenly you hear a news saying that, okay, Nepalese are stealing Indians' jobs. So people, the point I was trying to is, the same people who use their services, when they can sleep so that this guy can roam around, they have no problem in pointing that this guy is stealing it. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, people are selfish. Mm-hmm. The whatever the ideology, whatever the scale, whatever the things, people will use it. Mm. So that's a, that's a basic point I was trying to make. Okay. Okay. Well, we can't we can't we can't disagree with that, I suppose. Um, well, we're going to let you go. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for your call. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. Well, we didn't even get to uh, sexism or homophobia, but I think we are going to leave it there for this week, folks, because unless Neil has something important to say. No, we'll do sexism next week. Will we? Yeah. All oh, right. Dear. Oh, dear. Well. No, I hope not. I hope, you hope not? Jobs, <laughs> it's these t- hot topics, you know. you gotta, you got to address them, you know, because at least try to. Not that you're going to solve any. Any problems or, you know, sort it all out or come up with an explanation or a solution. But, you know, you may as well talk about it because that's what the whole world, or at least the whole Western world, the international community is all aflame about these days. And it bores the backside of me a lot of time. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's a problem. Anyway, so we hope you enjoyed the show. We will be back next week with another show. Until then, have a good evening.
See you next week.